Hi, everybody, and welcome to Totally Tintin. Our episode today will be Prisoners of the Sun. I'm Ian Boothby. I'm David Dedrick. And here... I like that efficiency. Thanks. That was, like, robotic. Oh, we're, we're going to be very efficient. Okay. Uh, uh, so... <laughs> We're not. We're no. gonna we're gonna do our mess around that we normally do. That's how it's gonna go. But here's how efficient I'm going to be. Yeah. Normally, I mention at the end of the show what our website is and how people can talk to us. Yeah. But we've been getting so many nice uh, emails and messages on our message board, and uh, I've I've acquired a taste for it. So I want more. Uh, so I'm gonna tell you right off the top for those of you that don't listen all the way to the end, and who could blame you? Uh, we're at sneakydragon.com. That's, That's where true. our message boards are. Uh, the name is in reference to another podcast we do called Sneaky Dragon. The two of us. I will agree with that as well. All right, good. You concur? I concur. Fantastic. Uh, if you want to email us, we are sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, and we're also on Facebook uh, with Totally Tin Tin. Any of those places, we love to hear from you. If throughout the course of this episode you hear us mess up in some way and go like, that's not true at all. The dog's name isn't Blackie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, You can write us immediately on there and uh, correct us. And uh, unfortunately, we record this a week in advance, so that will not affect the show in any way. But we will get back to you in some respect. Yes. We usually do that. Before we go on, I just want to quickly thank Dylan, one of our listeners, who I guess he heard me uh, bemoaning the fact that I didn't have a particular Michael Farr book, which I think is called The Tintin Companion. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just called Captain Haddock. I don't know. But <laughs> it's... I don't have it. And he was kind enough to scan all the pages for the Prisoner of the Sun, uh, Seven Crystal Ball, Prisoner of the Sun chapter. So thanks very much. I really appreciate it. I feel guilty that you did that, though, because, you know, that's your time that you're wasting. Oh, I see. I thought it was uh, you were feeling guilty because he scanned a book. I do document. feel guilty. Okay, well, don't because... But that he- you know, spend a lot of time. Oh, I understand. Scanning, that. but you don't pages. feel bad that he actually scanned. No, pages, I, because I really enjoyed it. Here's the thing: what we're doing here uh, is is we're basically doing a review. Yes, and you can do a certain amount of pages of a book for review purposes. Okay, so that is not illegal. That is not even unethical. That is accepted practice. All right. So there we go. I can take off my Jolly Roger shirt. Absolutely, you can. Okay. But right. oh, just wear a shirt though for the show. Put sure. it back on. Put, just put okay. it back on. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Sorry. And I'm gonna of course dress as Tintin as I always do. Yes. Here we go. And comb my hair, <laughs> and I'm ready to go. Uh, those of you that haven't listened to the show before, what an odd episode to start with. <laughs> but, but that's fair enough. Uh, maybe a friend is forcing you to listen to it in the car on the way to somewhere. Let me explain the premise of the show to you. Uh, I work professionally in the comic book industry. I write The Simpsons and Futurama comics uh, primarily and uh, do some other stuff. Uh, but I have never read, and I'm a big comics fan, but I have never read the Tintin series of books. Uh, I have been encouraged through uh, for many decades uh, by folks like David Dedrick. Yes. I work unprofessionally in the comics industry. <laughs> And uh, actually, I don't work at all in the industry. Um, and uh, I'm a huge Tintin. But you fan. are a cartoonist. I'm a cartoonist. Yeah. I'm a big Tintin fan, and I I just love Hergé's art. Uh, that is really the attraction to me. And the stories are good, but all oh, that art. But uh, so <laughs> I'm a giant fan, and I've been a fan since I was uh, I think grade eight, whatever age you are, grade eight, thirteen. Sure. Does that sound right to people? Uh, yeah, that does sound right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Since that since that moment that I discovered. The Red Sea Sharks. (laughs) I've been a big fan ever since. Cool. All right. So uh, what's going to happen is Dave usually presents a little bit of context where Hergé is uh, in his career and his life off the top. And then we go page by page through the book. So if you have not read Prisoners of the Sun yet and don't want to be spoiled, uh, now is a good time to hit pause, read it, and come back in a little bit. If you, like many of our listeners, 
uh, don't mind being spoiled, then uh, just listen along and then get the book afterwards, which many of you, it seems, do. That's interesting. There's no wrong way to do this, though that seems like a wrong way. But that yeah. you enjoy it, have at it. Happy to uh, be part of whatever that is that you're doing. No, that's true. Um, and you don't object to that either. I, I'm just going to agree with you. <laughs> you're not listening to a word I'm I saying. I may have been looking Ooh, at my notes. I understand. I yeah, that was one of those. We're having a little. Uh, <laughs> we're having our first date. I just explained a lot about myself, and then you gave me the old, uh-huh. I'm like, mm-hmm, you were reading the menu. Fair enough. Please continue, Indeed sir. Indeed I was. Indeed I was. Uh, so we could say we could say that this was the first book published in, uh, tin, like, first complete Tintin book published in Tintin magazine. But in a way, I think it isn't in a way because... How so? Well, because RJ did not... Real, there was no divide in these books. And when we were doing uh, the book last week, when we were doing uh, Seven Crystal Balls last week, you talked about how there was really no uh, climax or denouement to the story. Denouement, yep. To the story. Like, there was no, you know, no kind of chase sequence, no him going into a tunnel, no... Which even, normally is how yeah. these Tintin books end with some big, uh, exciting sure. uh, action scene. Exactly. Like, when we had Cigars, in the, Cigars of the Pharaoh, which was connected to the Blue Lotus, mm-hmm. Cigars of the Pharaoh had the tunnel sequence, him going down, finding the hooded, uh, you know, secret society, the that, you know, that whole kind of climax. And then there's kind of a weird sort of... Uh, what I like to call the Empire Strikes Back sequence to the end of the, the book where it's just kind of them in a room and then it ends. It sort of trails off there. Right. And you know that there's another next stage coming, but there was a climax. There was like a feeling of, you know, he solved this problem and now on to the next chapter. Whereas with uh, Seven Crystal Balls, The Prisoner of the Sun, there is no sense of completion. It's basically, you know, uh, from when he begins again, you know, Captain Haddock saying, let's go. And then a lot of not going, yeah. a lot of scenes page after page, basically, a yeah. lot of, of comic relief scenes, comic relief, a, a lot, lot of people falling down, roadblocks and various things like that. And then they get into a plane, they watch the ship leave. Yep. Then they get into a plane and fly after it. Yeah. There's going to the dock. There's coming back. Yeah. There's going back to the dock. Mm-hmm. Just stay at the dock. There's a lot of business. And then, yeah. and it feels, you know, when uh, Hergé was doing uh, his strips in La Soir, you know, it was such a new way for him to do it that he would like every day cut out the strip and put it into a into a notebook and paste it in there as if it was like a color album. So then he could get a sense of how it was scanning in terms of how it looked to read as a as a as a book, not just as a page you know day by day experience. Mm-hmm. One gets a feeling that he did not do that with this with this book. Uh, that there was a a lot of stuff that was left out of it in the end. Actually, is the truth. And, you know, he really, even calling it, in French, it's called the Temple of the Sun, not Prisoners of the Sun. And calling it that was basically just uh, a kind of an acknowledgement of how the kind of story had changed. But really, once again, he wasn't thinking of it as a different story. He wasn't thinking, okay, now we're on to uh, Temple of the Sun. Kind of like Lord of the Rings. Right. When J.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, it was written as one gigantic book. The reason that it was divided into three parts was because paper shortages during the war. Right. So the publisher would not publish it as one giant 700-page book. They demanded that he break it into three parts. And if you dropped it on your foot, it would break your foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you if you look at how the, the story's climax and stuff like that, it's actually not really natural how it works. There's some odd little bits to them because they weren't intended as three separate parts, but as one large overarching story with various climaxes in it. And Erge had this as well. So, you know, when we open this book, we find them sitting in a police office, you know, uh, and there is a little bit of 
there is a little bit of of kind of catching up on what's happened, but not a lot. Basically, you kind of hit the ground running. Yeah. And the story content carries on. This is an incredibly action-packed, incredibly action-packed uh, Tintin story, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, for all that, uh, you know, we were left with a delay, 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 delay last time, now it's just go, 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 go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're in the mountains. Wait, now we're here. Now alligators are attacking. What's happening? This person's trying to kill you. Well, now you're kidnapped. What? Now you're tied to this. It's It's basically, you know, I know we occasionally compare this to... Uh, like Indiana Jones, and this is the most Indiana Jonesy type uh, type adventure. You know, in that you know, the action sequences come one after the other, after the other, after the other, yeah. broken up briefly by moments of uh, comedy relief. Sure. Yeah. Now this was so Tintin magazine. This is the first time that that Hergé is being published in a magazine format. Before he was always a supplement in a mm-hmm. newspaper. So this was the first time that. For one, he's being published in sort of a spiru or whatever kind of atmosphere. And also that Tintin is standing on its own. Like Tintin is the main attraction of this new uh, venture that he's embarked now, upon. Now, with let me guys. just ask you about Tintin magazine itself. Sure. So, uh, so th- how many pages are being published a week? Well, it went up. I think the original, it started at about 12 pages. 12 pages a week. At that time, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then it went up to about 32 pages. A week. A week, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, Spiru is the same. Yeah, okay. Spiru is the same. Because oh, but how many pages of Tintin in it? Oh, in, oh sorry. Tintin. Well, I'll talk about that. We'll get to that. Okay? All right. Because it is a it is a different kind of, it's a weird sort of format, but I, you can understand how it kind of works in a very clever way. What There's lots of magazines that did this, but I do, I'm not too sure how many of them actually published albums out of the stuff that they were publishing within the magazine. Okay. Like Spiru did. Tintin did. Uh, Pilote did later on when it started. But um, I'm not too sure. Heroic Albums, I think they did, because Heroic Albums was an interesting anomaly because it actually published complete stories rather than seven, you know, five to seven different right. different stories serialized. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting way to do it, like because you're basically you're publishing a magazine, you're selling that to your readers, and you are promoting your stories in that magazine. So let's say you have Tintin in there and you have Blake and Mortimer in tin, you know, in Tintin. So every week readers are getting two to three pages of those stories. Now, you know, so you're selling them those books. Later on, those, those pages will be collected into an album. Right. And that album will be resold to those same customers. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're getting, you're selling the same thing product twice. Which is pretty standard nowadays. Is it? Yeah. For comics, yes. For comics, yeah, to yeah, be serialized and then re- and then collected. Yeah, like that would be the thing. I mean, you you have uh, Amazing Spider-Man oh, comes I see. out monthly, yeah. and then yeah. uh, it's it's published in uh, sure. trade uh, mm-hmm. after six issues or eight issues or yeah, or yeah. But if you think of think of you know sort of more standalone ones like children's com- children's graphic novels and stuff like that. I'm trying to think. A well, lot of them aren't serialized. They just come out as a graphic novel. Okay. They don't have that promotional element to them where. You know, every week it's available if you want. You can, or you can wait. You can either get it now right. and read it bit by bit, or you can mm-hmm. wait till it's finished and read it all at once. I would say, actually, I would disagree because I think uh, what you do get now, you do get those, but on the web. You would get web comics nowadays that would come out and then they'd, yeah. then they'd collect them, you know, and those comics can, can come out about three times, three times a week, you know, uh, two or three times a sure. week. So, yeah. you know, I'd say, I'd say that would be comparable, but you wouldn't publish of course yeah uh two to three times a week because there's no newsstand around that would accept that kind of thing okay i'm thinking more of kids stories but and i know but there are a lot of kids web comics that then become collected okay into uh into trades um so yeah so you have this weird kind of thing where it's both a commodity and a promotional tool right it's interesting and so um and many kids comics ripping off tintin in a good way though 
Tintin is a big inspiration for a lot of all oh, ages yeah. comics. Yeah. It, it, at this time, at this time as well. Yeah. Um, so, so we talked about last week how Tint or how Erge was, you know, basically blacklisted, ostracized. Yeah, we ended you know. World War Two. We ended Classic. World War Two. You're welcome. Everybody. And uh, so, you know, the end of World War Two brought a lot of trouble for people who had continued to work as journalists and and to provide content to newspapers at that time. Some some were shut down. Others were just kind of ran, continued on. I don't know how. Others were taken over by the Germans and used as propaganda organs. And that's what happened with Le Soir that Hergé worked for. Now, uh, so, you know, he was blacklisted. He could not work. And I'll just quickly recap. He was approached sure, by Raymond LeBlanc and two other guys. Uh, we don't need to know their names. I can say it if you want. Andre Sinav and, and Guy de Blatty. But they came and they... I feel like I really oh, sorry, pressure, Albert, I sorry. pressured you to say the names even though I didn't pressure you. I said it wrong. It's Albert de Blatty. Now, they, okay. they had a very small publishing company. They had basically published like romance novels. And they punished, published, not published, punished. They punished movies. They published a movie <laughs> review magazine called Cine Selection. And so they decided, you know, we should have a kids magazine. That's where the money seems to be. There's lots in the round at this time. So they thought, you know, who can we approach? Who will be a draw? And it was uh, El, uh, Andre Seneev who said, or Seneev, who said, we should approach Hergé because Hergé is not publishing right now. He's, you know, he's not doing anything. So let's see what, what we can do. And Raymond LeBlanc, he was this war hero. Like he was just a war hero. He was a hero of the resistance. He was had tons of connections, you know, amongst the government, the new government of that time. And so basically, nothing was undoable for him. And so you know, the you know, to Hergé, he's kind of like, well, I'm interested, but you know, I'm blacklisted and I can't. He's like, don't worry about it. I will get you know my fixer to fix it. And that's basically what he did. You know, he got his friend Pierre Ijou to come in and just fix it, just like he. Same guy fixed the paper shortage for Tintin Magazine. He said, you need paper? I'll get you paper. Yeah. He got them paper. Um, so, you know, Hergé, it's an interesting because he wasn't in a position to say no, you know, because it might be his only chance to be published again. Um, so now for the magazine itself, compared to, and I talked about last time how they had all this jump, the hoops they had to leap through to get his citizenship restored. So we won't go through that again. But compared to, you know, uh, that struggle, I think getting the magazine off the ground was actually a walk in the park compared to getting his citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides finding like talent, because at that point there were, like I said, there's lots of magazines publishing in at that time. There, some of them were publishing a lot of American material. They're just republishing stuff, uh, repackaging it for, for French or, or Flemish audiences. But they're also like Spirou who were publishing, you know, absolutely brand new, you know, French talent or, or Bel- Belgian talent. And, now those guys, untouchable, I guess, can't you can't take them from from that magazine. So uh, RJ quickly uh, got his friend Jacques van Malkebeek, who we've talked about many times, to come and help him. Uh, E.P. Jacobs, who was then working for RJ as an assistant, he was brought in. Jacobs brought in a guy named uh, Jacques. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name now. Jacques oh, Laudy, and Laudy he was working for a magazine called Bravo that E.P. Jacobs was also working for. So they kind of poached him from that magazine and brought him in. And mm-hmm. then there was another guy named Paul Cavalier who had actually come to Hergé looking for like artistic advice. And he brought his sketchbooks and Hergé looked through them and he actually said to him, you came to me seeking advice, but instead I should be asking you because <laughs> he just thought it was amazing stuff. Yeah. And uh, the, the only kind of hiccup was uh, with Jacques van Malkebeek because he was, a, was another... In Civic, another collaborator who did not have citizenship papers. When uh, the kind of fixer, Pierre Uju, who heard that he was working for, for Tintin magazine, he quickly called Raymond LeBlanc and said, 
is do you have Bob Malkovich working for you? And he's like, yeah. He said, get rid of him right now, right now. And so he was sent packing. And like shortly after that, the police came and raided the offices looking for him. Wow. And eventually he was caught and he went to prison for a few months. And he really couldn't work anymore. So he did work for Tintin Magazine, but completely anonymously. He just contributed stories and stuff like that. But he was never credited uh, because he couldn't be. So the now we said this before, but I will say it one more time. Um, that uh, what's it? Just one more thing. What's interesting with both oh, Laudy? Take your time. It's your show. Both Laudy <laughs> and Cuvillier, neither of them really produce much that you would re- that people would remember them for. They're not really, they're not sung. Their praises aren't sung or anything like that. They're they're kind of brought in, but I don't think that they much cared for comics. I think they're actual. They were actually artists, painterly artists, who had kind of fallen into it, but weren't really in, met that into it and married to it per se. Compared to someone like Jacobs or, or Hergé, who loved the form, you know, mm-hmm. loved to draw and loved to, to tell stories. That's not really where they're at. Like, Hergé and Laudy would have fights all the time because Laudy just didn't care how you read a comic, whether it was right to left or left to right. He just didn't care. So he didn't situate the balloons in a way that made sense. And it drove Hergé crazy because he was so into clarity. Yeah. He just loved everything to be clear in, a, in the story. Tintin is very clear. Yeah. And this guy, you know, just would put balloons anywhere. <laughs> Have people speaking backwards so that, the, you know, the person who should be speaking seconds, the balloon was first. Ugh. It just drove Hergé nuts. Yeah, it would drive me nuts reading it. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing was Jacobs, he published in it. It was the fir- in the very first issue of Tintin had his first uh, episode of Blake and Mortimer, who became very popular. And it was a popular right off the get-go, which kind of caused trouble between him, him and Hergé. Um, so the first issue was published uh, on a Thursday, September 26, 1946. And so it featured, like I said, I already said who it had in it, but just so it had a story from Paul Cuvelier called The Extraordinary Odyssey of Corentin Feldo. And it was basically like a Robinson Crusoe-like story about this guy who ends up on an island, on a remote island, uh, who befriends like a native there and has adventures and stuff like that. And then eventually, I don't know how he did this or why he would agree to it, but the editor, later the ed- an editor said to him, you know, what's really popular now are westerns. So I want you to make it into a Western. <laughs> so he just kind of mid-story, just switched into a Western. But was it the right time period for a Western? No. So he had to make it like he had to make it like a, a like a future relative of the original yeah, quarantine. That's, going, that's what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's okay. exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, extracts from H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds and uh, Voltaire Zadig, both illustrated, despite illustrations by Jacob, not cartoons, but just the text with with. Uh, with illustrations. It had The Secret of the Swordfish by E.P. E. Jacobs, the first continuation of Tintin's adventures, uh, now retitled. Um, and then A History of the Navy, narrated by Captain Haddock, which was illustrated by Hergé and Jacobs. Oh, okay. And what that was, was it was a series of c- cards. They're called Look and Learn. And they had three different... They had um, the Navy, which Haddock told us about. They had... Um, Another part, which I can't remember what that was. Who told us about that stuff? And then they had a third one, which was narrated by a guy who was, was named, they named him uh, Major Wings. He was an earlier character from one of the stories. And they just said, well, let's just use him. We'll just give him a name, Major Wings. And he can tell about aviation. Man, I wish I could remember what the third part. It's something to do with with land This stuff. is one of those good examples where you could write us. Yeah. Sneakydragon.com. Please let me know. And uh, let us know. Because I'm dumb. 
I just thought, oh, uh, no, I, I would that. say I would say anyone listening to this would not think that you were dumb. I just thought, I'll remember that. With a that sheer fact. amazing amount of information. I'll remember that fact. Okay. And then I didn't. But uh, so it was a great, it was like a super success right from the start. Like the very first issue, which only 60,000 copies, but they sold out in three days. By the mm-hmm. third issue, they were, it was 100,000 copies. And shortly after it started, they, they had a Dutch version. Uh, so they could sell to the Flemish market as well. Because remember, Belgium has two different languages. That's, That's the right. Flemish, you know, the Flemish, Flanders part of it. And then the Wallonia, the Walloon part, which is French. So, the, you know, they have the two different audiences. So you can have two magazines, you know, the French one, which you can sell in, in Wall- Wallonia, in the French-speaking part of Belgium, but also in France itself. And then you have a Flemish one that, you know, is very similar to Dutch. So you can sell it in to the Dutch market. And so it was called uh, Koifia which is Dutch for quiff or fringe. So it's basically more of a nickname yeah, for, for the for, hair. Yeah. And uh, the editor, it was the editor-in-chief of Kafia who came up with a slogan for the magazine, which was the magazine for the young from 7 to 77, which is interesting because a friend of Hergé's, this guy named Marcel, Marcel Duhay, had published a book in 1936, a children's book entitled A Book for Children from 6 to 66. So I'm really wondering who thought of this idea. But apparently well, this guy that wanted 11 years more or 12 years more of uh, of readers. Now, this is an interesting sidebar. I find this Smart. really fascinating. If you're 78, stop reading. Yeah. Yeah. Put Please it down, do. Gramps. Not for you. <laughs> you're no longer young at heart. That's right. Uh, what's an interesting thing? This is this is total sidebar. It's not, it has nothing to do with Tintin. But I find it fascinating that all the magazines of this sort at that time all had to have those kind of tags in them. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't just publish it and call it Tintin. That no, 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 no. How would people know that it's a magazine for kids from seven to seventy-seven? How, how are they going to know? You've got to put it on there. Right. So every magazine that came out practically had these weird things. So like, so like the magazine Perot. These are all children's magazines. Yeah. It was the newspaper for young people. Okay. The this was a French uh, magazine that. Uh, also published Tintin, republished Tintin. Mm-hmm. For the valiant heart, nothing is impossible. That was their uh, tag. Okay. okay. The magazine Benjamin. Yeah. The greatest French newspaper for the young and the whole family. Oh, take big, that, everyone big else. Big words. Le Journal de Mickey, which was basically a Disney Mickey Mouse. Right. Thing. The magazine for young readers. Little okay, doll. all right. Doll. Robinson. Could, could have tried harder there, Disney. Robinson was the magazine for the young of all ages. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, hurrah, which I like that name, exclamation mark. The Great Adventure Magazine for Young Readers. Okay, that's more that's specific. It works. L'Entrepide, the magazine for young and old. But if you are in the middle, don't read it. <laughs> if you're in your 40s, knock it off. Put that down. Uh, okay, keep going. <laughs> Les Petons. Yeah. For the whole family. Okay. But only if you've got a family. Yeah. If you're a single gentleman. You shouldn't be reading kids. You shouldn't be reading kids. Kind of ma- creepy anyway. Yep. Spirou, the magazine of good cheer. Okay. So I like that one. So if you're depressed, not for you. And this is what I like the best because it sounds like it's it sounds like it's a bottle of uh, something for, like a bottle of tonic. Okay. Sold mm-hmm. at a medicine show. Heroic albums was heroic relaxes adults, entertains the young, and energizes the old. <laughs> <laughs> that was her tag. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, now. Well, it cure my rheumatiz. Sure will. Just rub this magazine on any part. And so, you'll be fine. So serious. Yeah, just, just lay the magazine on your back when you go to sleep. We print this on snake oil. <laughs> With snake oil. Um, Could be also on. It Why seems not? kind of harder to print on snake oil. Do you think so? Yeah. Let's try it later on. We'll see. Sure, we'll try it. Um, what is our podcast for? We should actually like... Yeah, you know, we better start thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, like uh, I'd say uh, five to... Uh, yeah, whatever. Five to six. Five to six-year-olds and yeah, that's it? That's it. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't like abroad. I want to be very... Sp- 
very specific. Well, those are the those are the ones that know how to program a computer and know how to work iTunes. So that 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 makes sense. Okay. The the podcast from the old at heart from five to six. Sure. There you go. Makes you sleepy. Makes you sleepy. <laughs> Fill your diaper. Too. No, it's a bit too young. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So now the magazine's a big success. So that immediately brings all the people that don't like Erge out again. So. You know, it had kind of died down, all the clamor and every, everyone demanding his blood. Right. It all starts up again now, because now he's in the news, he's popular again, people know his name's out there again. And so all, suddenly there's all these editorials mm-hmm. saying, why didn't he get sentenced? Why Why didn't he go to jail? Right. Why is he walking around a free man? Okay. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he, you know, he worked for the Nazis. Mm-hmm. He's a Nazi. He did this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of, a lot of anger, because there was a lot of anger. Part of it was political. Mm-hmm. You know, it's political points, you know. He's associated with the right, with the Catholic right, you know, who were very, um, what would you say, didn't come out of the war very, looking very well, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, that's so now it's an opportunity for the people who before were under the, the, the foot, yeah. under the boot of Catholic, Catholic right. Now it's their turn to get back. No, it makes sense. But the book yeah. is selling quite well, though, right? The magazine sells great. There yeah. you go. So there's the people same people that... complaining are the same people buying it. That's true. If you do hate something, you will buy it <laughs> in order to complain about it. And those yeah. dollars still do go into your pocket. Yeah. But, you know, it really, it really affected Hergé, you know, because he thought it's over. Yeah. It's all done. Everyone's <laughs> going to forget. Everything's back to normal. And then as soon as his name is in the newspaper, he's just, you know, it just, everything about him, you know, he was this very, when he was younger, and not just that he was young, he was a very young, young man. You know, he's very youthful, he's very fun, very spontaneous. That was all being drained out of him by these experiences. Right. You know, he's just being, it's just, his whole personality was just being swamped and, and just, he just couldn't it, keep his head it above. It does feel, though, in this in this particular book, that uh, the fun comes back, like the like it becomes energized, and you know, in a way that the last one wasn't. You know, it felt. Hmm. Yeah. It, can, it, I, can I go bump bump bump? Oh, okay. You can go bump bump. bump. It's funny. Okay. Sorry, just to backtrack a little bit when you were saying how uh, people that don't like it bought it as well. Mm-hmm. It just reminds me of something really briefly. We did a previous podcast uh, called Completely Beatles, where we went over every Beatles album. Yeah. And you would get someone who would go, "I hate this podcast. Wanted to let you know I don't like it, and yeah. I am not going to listen to it anymore." Yeah. And you know you're going to be getting another one from them <laughs> six episodes down, who are like. Well, I still don't care for this, and I'm out. <laughs> Two later, yeah. I could not be more upset. <laughs> it's like, all right, fair enough. Yeah. If you don't like it, you're going to listen to it. The end. Well, because they love the Beatles. They just didn't like... Uh, Me. <laughs> okay. I don't want to be mean. That's fine. Uh, so <laughs> here's the thing with the magazine. Because Hergé had set himself an exhausting task. I don't think he realized it when he started. Because not only was he produced... Because he agreed to do two pages every week. Not only was he agreeing to do two pages every week in color, but he was basically doing two album pages. It wasn't like doing yeah. Le Soir or doing uh, Le Petit Vingtième, where he's basically doing, like, two pages was one page of, of color comics, right. right? Now he's doing four pages of what he used to produce. Now, is he also doing the illustrations for the Haddock uh, yeah. Navy thing as well? Yeah. I mean, uh, those he, are original illustrations? Yeah. And he, but he did have help. Like, Jacobs would do, like, the vehicles and stuff like that. But only Hergé would draw Haddock. Would Haddock or Tintin, whoever, because Tintin would often be in the uniforms or the. Oh, know, okay. Which was he found hilarious. Like he'd be having to draw like, uh, Panzer tanks. You have to draw Tintin in an SS <laughs> uniform, and he just, that just really appealed to a sense of irony. You know that he was in so much trouble, and here he was drawing Tintin in, in a Nazi uniform for these looking. Look Nowadays, and that would be the kind of illustration that someone would grab and put online and go, "Huh? See, horrible." 
Yeah. You know, but of yeah. course you couldn't do that back then. Well, because you know it was supposed to be educational. They're just talking about yeah. they're talking about various types of tanks and things that were used in World War Two. So or boats or whatever. So you know it wasn't it wasn't meant to be provocative. It was just meant to be educational. Understood. Yep. Uh, so now the other thing is, so not only is he producing uh, there's a huge amount of work, but it was in a really weird format in, in the magazine. It, instead of instead of being like a page, like an uptown page, it was spread. It was three tiers spread across two pages. So it, it was a, it, the center spread. So the center part of the magazine you'd open up, and there would be Tintin sp- spread across the whole two pages, mm-hmm. three tiers. So he was having to draw uh, 75 spreads for the magazine and then make those into 62 pages for the albums, yeah. for, for Casterman. And unlike with Lesoir, I don't think that he took a notebook and cut them out and made sure they all worked. Because in the end, 333 drawings that were in the magazine had to be cut out Wow, for for the uh, for the book. Um, now, when we're going through the book, we'll talk about that a little bit. What's interesting, though, and let me give a shout out to Les, who <laughs> sent me a comment on the website today, and he was t- I, he read my mind because I was I was when I was reading about this, I was thinking, well, it's about time that someone put those out in a book, so we have the complete version of the magazine uh, Prisoners of the Sun, and we can you know, and then yes, it's been done. So he sent yeah. me a link. To Meanwhile, Les has a uh, Charles yeah. Xavier moment where his head just starts <laughs> aching. And he goes, I must send Dave information. So, yeah, he sent you a link and we put that on the on the um, site. Yeah, it's, he, yeah, he sent the It's, it's on the right, site, yeah. the link's there, yeah. If people are interested, it takes them to an Amazon thing. But leave one book for me if you're going to buy it. Just make sure you don't buy all the books. Okay. Um, so now, like I was saying, so, you know, now he's put all his work on himself. He's doing these look and learn drawings he's doing all this extra stuff plus the recoloring is still going on and uh you know so now he's kind of trapped he'd let his agent bernard terry do the uh to uh work out the details of of his contract and he wasn't actually that happy with the terms you know like leblanc was getting 55 percent of you know the magazine you know he was a 55 percent stakeholder mm-hmm. Hergé was 10 percent you know, here's his magazine. He's mm. the center attraction. Yeah, it's, it's named magazine. after his character, yeah. and he's only getting ten percent. Yeah, he's that's what all, an agent gets. He's doing that's all this work. The, yeah, yeah, he's doing all this work, and uh, you know, so now he discovers after he's agreed to this, he discovers how much work is expected of him, and you know, now with Petit Vantiam and Lassoir, theoretically, he could have left at any time. You know, he didn't, but he could have. You know, he never felt trapped there, but now he's trapped at in Tintin magazine. Not only is a magazine named after Tintin. But he's under the sort of debt of obligation to LeBlanc, who had got him his, his you know, his uh, good citizenship back, you know. So he can't leave. He's stuck, you know. And so this is really going to affect how this story plays out. Now, I think that um, we'll just say a little bit more before we start. Sure, sure. Just a little bit about, because now this sounds like no fun. This sounds like it was a drag to Jane. and it was. But it's, what's weird is that you said it doesn't affect the story. The story feels just like the greatest thing you've ever read, mm-hmm. you know, and he just threw himself into it, not only in terms of plotting and pacing and drawing and stuff like that, but in terms of research, you know, and how careful he researched backgrounds and local costume. He had this fantastic book. It's just a massive uh, book by this guy named Charles Wiener who wrote this book called Peru and Bolivia. It was published in 1880, and it was this kind of part travelogue, part ethnographic journal. And this guy had done 1,100 different drawings of like um everything wrote how roads look how d- door handles look what the architecture is like not only 
like, but not just like Incan architecture, which he also recorded, but also like local people, like how their huts and their houses and everything looked. Like he just recorded all of it. It had, um, so it had like 1,100 engravings. It had 27 maps and 18 different city plans that Ergie was able to kind of draw on to get a sense of, of, of not just the Incan, but also how people lived in, in Peru and Ecuador. And, uh, for the costumes and houses and stuff like that, he also uh, drew in this article from National Geographic called "The Incas: Empire Builders of the An- of the Andes," and then it was also called another one called "In the Realm of the Sons of the Sun." Uh, and so they had these two different stories, kind of giving you a history of of the, and it was full of these really colorful illustrations. So you could see not just the, not just the uh, how the styles were and how the patterns were, but also what the colors were yeah. like and stuff like that, which he also really translated really well. well I should say. Jacob's translated really well because Hergé had the worst color sense <laughs> ever. But um, And then finally, the bones of the story was uh, taken from a, uh, a book called The Bride of the Sun. So the stuff about like sun worship and the religious rituals were taken from this book by Gaston LaRue called The Bride of the Sun. He's also the author of The Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. And so I actually quite liked this book in his youth. And so even the uh, eclipse elements are t- uh, also occur in that same book. Right. So... Um, but also uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Connecticut Court. Connecticut Yankee would that'd probably be one of the very earliest ones. But also Columbus himself actually was with a lunar eclipse. He used a lunar eclipse to quell a native rebellion uh, when because he, he happened to know that it was coming. And he used, used it to show his power mm. to these people. So it actually has a historical an- antecedent as well as some fictional ones. Yeah. Um, so everybody, look when the next eclipse is. Go f- somewhere that they don't know about it and act like a god. You've got, you've got time. Do it. So one, now one of, one of the most important influences on, on Hergé at this point was E.P. E. Jacobs himself. Mm-hmm. Like they were not just, it wasn't just master and assistant. It was two equally talented artists working together to produce Tintin at this time. They were working hand in hand, uh, not literally because they were drawing, but they were, you know, working just side by side. You know, um, someone asked um, Jacobs, you know, what would Hergé say to you if you made a mistake? And he said, I said the same thing, the same thing I would say to him. You know, he would take my advice and, and use it. You know, that's, you know, the, to him, they were, there was no, they were equals, you know. So remember when we talked about last time when he got hired, Hergé said, well, I'll give you a percentage of the, of the cut. So uh, in 1944, 10 months into the working relationship, he offered Jacobs 10% royalty for the works on which they collaborated. So this included things like the informational articles, like the look and learn and stuff like that, that appeared in the magazine. For the actual comic strips, since Hergé drew all the characters, he received 55% of the ro- 55% of the royalties. Jacob's drawing the backgrounds would get 45% of the royalties. Mm-hmm. And then, but he wanted Jacob to commit full time to doing it. So he didn't want him to be doing Blake and Mortimer because Jacob's had worked a schedule so he could produce his own work and also work. Right. For okay. Tintin. How'd that go over? Uh, well, he thought about it and he agreed, but on this condition, it had to be Hergé and Jacob's Tintin. That's what oh. it had to say on the title page. Oh. That was a sticking point. Oh yeah. So Erge said, I'll have to think about it. And then he came back and he said, Casterman won't go for it. What he didn't say was, yeah. I won't go for it. Yeah, that's right. Because he loved to, you know, he so closely associated himself with Tintin's character that it was just impossible for him to even imagine, sh- you know, sharing that. You know, he'd already done it for so many years. The idea of someone else coming in and, and adding their name, even though he was important and he recognized oh, absolutely. it. I mean, that's a very fair distribution of, of, mm-hmm. of percentage for royalty yeah considering how you know how much Hergé had to do with the creation of Tintin and how much of the individual creation of each album it also recognizes how important you know Jacobs was to the plotting and the drawings and stuff like that of what, what they were doing at that time together so uh he wouldn't agree to that and so basically and the thing was is Jacobs had already started publishing the secret of the swordfish his reputation was going up 
Yeah. You know, he didn't need to be in Erge's shadow. There's no reason for him to stay. He could leave and be a free agent and, and be a success. He enjoyed working with, with Erge, and that was a pleasure to him, but he didn't want to sacrifice his own stories. So uh, in May of 1947, they, just, they decided on like a friendly separation. They just decided to end their partnership, even though underneath there were lots of hurt feelings on both sides. They just, it was a friendly separation. It wasn't done in, in animosity. You know, there was hurt, but it wasn't. They still were friendly with each other. But whenever they worked after that, it was strictly cash basis. Oh, okay. Strictly, I'll give you this amount of money if you will do this amount of coloring or this amount of backgrounds. So uh, let's end there. Let's start with our story. Okay. So this is one last thing, which is, of course, just to add to his workload, of course, now that now that uh, Jacobs is gone uh, partway through the story, now his workload has increased. He's coloring with Alice DeVos, but also uh, he's doing all this... Uh, Plotting, planning, drawing, backgrounds, everything is falling back into his lap again. So he did bring in a couple of assistants to help him out. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of work. Okay. And um, uh, something we mention quite often is uh, I'm working from the English version of the story. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned the French title, but you're also uh, reading from uh, the French version of yeah, the story as La well. La Temple du Soleil. All right. Because you, can, the sun. because you can read French. Somewhat. la dee da Okay. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're just going to start off with page one and see where we're at. I have a note right away. Boom! Off to you, then. <laughs> you you start off this page. Go for it. The, uh, well, this is the map that opens the, the story. Actually, was resulted in the book being banned in Peru. Why is that? Because it shows uh, this area that was uh, under dispute as belonging to Ecuador. Ah, and so that okay. made Peru mad, and so they banned the book. For how long? I don't know. Probably I bet not, you can get it there now. Probably not for very long. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you can. Probably not All very right. long. It's one of those little... Uh, hissy fits that don't last for long right okay so we're going to start off yeah we do have a little map uh showing you uh, where peru is and we're saying we're at police uh, headquarters in uh, uh calus calo uh peru and uh there is a uh, it was this i guess the chief of police very fancy man <laughs> yes smoking uh smoking a, a cigarette in a holder uh he could not look fancier frankly no. Uh, he's got welcoming. nicely oiled hair. Yeah, he say, he sends for uh, he says uh, let in uh, Tintin and the captain explains that Haddock is a retired uh, ship's captain to the audience and Tintin is a reporter. Interpol warned him that they were coming. Send them in now. Warning that they're coming means this guy's going to be a little bit uh, tough on him. You know, he's not going to be helpful if Interpol is warning this. So he says that, uh, as I understand the situation, your friend Professor Calculus has been kidnapped, and you have a good reason to believe he's aboard the cargo ship uh, Pachak Amak. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not good at these at these at these names. Pachakamak, I guess. Sure, Pachakamak. I'm going to say that many different ways throughout this story. I apologize to you, the listener. What's, uh, what's interesting? I just want to. I just sorry please. to interrupt you, but uh, in the French version, it's La Plisse de Saint Saint uh, sorry Saint Nazaire. Which was an actual port town in in Belgium. Oh, okay. so it's curious because they when the when they did the English translation, they changed it to Westermouth, uh, San San Nazar to Westermouth, which is a fictitious fictitious place. So it kind of defeats Hergé's intention, which was to create this really realistic version of San Nazar with all these all these uh, well researched you know photographs and stuff like that that he used to, for the doc scenes yeah. and stuff like that just as a if, if this was an original graphic novel yeah there's no way you would start with uh the main character tintin with his back to the audience for the majority of the page yeah but you know because it's a continuing strip we know what he looks like we're all on board yeah but it's an odd thing if you're just reading the book as it's as itself going sure. like that's weird the first time we see a character 
back of the head, back of the head, back of the head, you've, back of the you've head. You've got to think of it as page 63 that you're yep, on. Yep, absolutely. So, and speaking of absolutely, Tintin says, yes, we are. Uh, we are looking for him, and he's due to arrive in uh, Callow any day. Uh, well, uh, says the uh, guy who seems a bit sleazy, as soon as it uh, comes into uh, port, we'll search the ship. Uh, if friends on board, well, yeah, everything's going to be great. Uh, Tintin then makes a dash uh, for the uh, for the balcony. Uh, he spots an Indian running away. Someone yes. was spying on him. Now uh, we kind of know from the last story that uh, maybe that's trouble. That's right. Yes, we have that feeling. Yeah, it's not. Uh, One doesn't dash t- to t- a Tintin window. Tintin is for not nothing. a racist. Going, I saw an Indian. <laughs> I don't care for that. Right. Let's get him out of here. How dare he be looking in <laughs> yeah. a window? There is a reason. So uh, surely you're mistaken, says the chief of police. No, no, I saw him. He was there. He ran through the bushes. Ah, bah. What's it matters is the police. Uh, nothing confidential was said. Anyway, let's forget the whole incident and allow me to offer you a glass of Pisco. It's our national drink. Come uh, come here to the safe return of your friend Calculus. Well, someone's happy about that, and that is uh, Haddock the Drinker, who, again, has nothing to say on the first page at all. <laughs> Something that you would never do if you were starting an original graphic novel. You'd establish the characters and whatever, but because it's a continuing story, off we go. Did it bother you when you started this that it's like that? It's uh yeah, a little bit. Because I was actually gonna I was gonna write to you, message you and just say Don't talk about that. It no, really no, bothers me. No, I was gonna say that. I was gonna say read the last six pages or so of of uh the seven crystal balls, yeah. then start this book. So that you get a better sense of how it should flow. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, just some just some basic things like when you're starting a story, you always want to establish your character, have them do something that's very like their character, show yeah. them what they are. Yeah. And, you know, first first little while, like back of the head, back of the head, and other sidekick doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. But fair enough. Yeah. Uh, next page. A few minutes later, uh, happy. Oh, Captain Haddock couldn't be happier. Uh, thinking about seeing uh, uh, old Cuthbert again, which is interesting because he never seemed to like the guy. You know, he was always so frustrated. To, to see him until he got kidnapped, and then he missed him so much. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting relationship. Yeah. They're the odd couple. They're they the first odd couple. Right. So uh, yeah, Tintin's not as optimistic as, uh, as Haddock here, uh, but Haddock's you know, saying, nope, things are great, look around you, things are fantastic, look at all the Indians, the clothes, the colors, the llamas. Uh, oh, there's a nice <laughs> little llama. That's a weird thing to say. It is. So, <laughs> at least he put the people before the llamas. Uh, yeah. There's a nice little llama. And uh, he's warned, don't uh, just be a little careful. No, why? He's a llama. He's a great llama. And then we get the first of many uh, llama <laughs> spitting in his yes. face jokes and a Spit. fantastic image. Spit takes. Yeah, and yeah. I just love the amount of water. That is, it's impossible. He's not a water fountain. It's not. Someone hasn't put a hose in behind the uh, the llama. So, but it's great. Is this great how soaked he is? After? Yeah, I've seen this image on uh, coffee mugs. Okay. Yeah. That you drink and then have spit takes. I, I guess. guess. I guess so. So uh, that put the old captain in his place and lowered down the mood. Uh, Snowy's <laughs> like, "Oh, what manners with that!" And like, arr, 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 angry haddocks walking away. Uh, so they are heading to their hotel, and we see a gentleman, uh, Indian gentleman, who is uh, watching him, uh, watching them go in, uh, saying, "Hmm, Hotel uh, Cristobal uh, Colon, Bueno." Oh, there we mm-hmm. go. All right, yeah. let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's go to the next morning. Phone rings. Yeah, a beautifully drawn phone, by the way. It is. Uh, it looks like a phone's almost... It'd be jumping off. It's just so uh, off the hook. It's so good. Okay, so <laughs> Tintin uh, answers the phone. He's so excited. Sweat beads are shooting off him. Uh, good morning. Yeah, uh, what's that? Uh, the ship's in sight? Fine. Uh, key number 24. We'll be there right away. A few minutes later, uh, walking uh, down to the docks or walking towards where the ship is. Uh, big bags of guano. Yeah, around. <laughs> all over. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, and then uh, who shows up? Is that really a- their main export? That doesn't seem like much of an economy. Does it seem like the funniest thing that we could see at the so. dock? I guess so. Pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, so uh, so I so I agree with all the guano. Uh, <laughs> Thompson and Thompson are, are uh, showing up, are, are old friends. Uh, but the captain, oh, he has had enough of these nitwits. He spent time with these guys on a boat where they almost drowned uh, Tintin by not using the pump. He's he's at his wit's end with these fellas. Yeah. They used to be fairly intelligent police officers. Uh, they crossed the border to uh, to dummy land in the last little while. <laughs> so anyway, they show up. Uh, and the uh, chief of police is there. These gentlemen were sent out by the CID uh, to help in the search for your friend. Who is the CID? CID is... Uh, I was going to look that up because I... I always wonder, but it's a, it's a branch of, in the English police force, it's a branch of... Uh, Very good. So the ship... Criminal com- Investigation Division. Very good. The, That's what I'm guessing it is. You think it's Criminal Investigation D- Division? Yeah. All right. And Dave has now put $25 down to I bat me on. I slapped it down the table. What's that you say, Dave? That's $25 to any listener 20, listening if you get this wrong. $2,500. I don't think you saw how much is there. Oh, wow. I didn't see that. There, yeah. was, there was all that extra money under that 20 and a 5. <laughs> That's right. That's the thing about Canadian money. It's so big, you can hide a lot of other money under right. it, and we it's, don't even notice. It's a $2,000 bill. I think I've finally outed us as Canadian. I don't think I have on the show so far. Anywho, let's get back to this ship. Uh, they're excited because, of course, it's going to be docking, but it has raised the yellow flag. What does the yellow flag mean, Dave? Yellow flag, I think, is quarantine. That is absolutely correct. That's uh, And the... Uh, and, and and the Thompsons don't seem to know what quarantine means at one point, but fair enough. Well, uh, you need that you need that criminal minds moment where a character explains something to so we in the audience understand that. Absolutely, well. yeah, absolutely. We don't know what a yellow flag means. That's the that's the thing. We're on a TV show. All of a sudden, a scientist won't know something yeah. that we know, and yeah. I was like, "This is your field." Yeah. Anyway. I'm I'm remembering an episode of The Flash we just saw, where, or I saw, where one of the scientists didn't know what a singularity was. Yeah, they would huh. know that. Anyway, so that's yeah. my flash bashing for this uh, episode. <clears throat> They're part of the dating scene. <laughs> off the... That's right. Off the doctors go to check out uh, the ship. Meanwhile, uh, pacing happens on the dock between the Thompson Thompson and the captain. Yeah. Uh, one of the Thompsons spots the bag of guano and, and asks... Yeah, what is that? What's up with the guano? Why? Why is there bags of guano here? Oh, well, what is it exactly? Mm, let me try to explain, and then a seagull poops on his hat. <laughs> Pretty good. On the Thompson's hat, yeah. Pretty good. That's a good gig. Uh, and uh, the other Thompson has a good laugh uh, as yeah. the captain says, that's a free sample. Now, here's like, a moment that'll make you happy. Symmetry. Right. Between the Thompson twins. Boom. Yeah. And the other one gets pooped on the hat. <laughs> yeah, there's two things I like. I like when they do the... Uh, uh, to be to precise. Be, to be precise, yeah. which they do later in this book. Yeah. They actually do it correctly. Yeah. And I like when <laughs> one thing happens to one and one thing happens to the other. Balance in the universe. So, uh, so yeah, uh, the, the doctors come back and say it's two cases of yellow fever on board. Quarantine them for three weeks. Like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's a big drag. Uh, Captain's upset about this, but uh, Tintin's, nah, we're not waiting. There was, uh, <laughs> once again, this feels really bad if you don't know that there was an Indian gentleman in the last story where, t- where Tintin's, yeah, yeah, that's an Indian doctor. We're not listening to him. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I it's don't like trust Indians. Yeah, pretty much. That's what it sounds like if you yeah. don't know context. Luckily, we do. So uh, moving on to that, uh, they show up in the boat. Here's a fantastic sequence, I think. I think so, so well done. 
Yeah, I had to look something up here to see if Tintin was correct or not. It's nighttime, and they're uh, they're boating out, and Tintin's going to go for yeah. a swim to the boat. Yeah. Tintin, uh, the captain warns him about sharks, and Tintin goes, don't worry, the sharks are sleeping. Yeah. Now, the question is, David, Yes. do sharks sleep? I believe they do. That is uh, something some people believe, other people believe differently, and it's never been proven whether they do or not. But there is an expression, let sleeping sharks lie. Nope, that is not an expression and so at all. so that tells me that, you know, common folklore, which is often correct, uh... Knows, knows well, here's one thing that they've that they have found because I did look up a little bit Just about like this. Like you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd. Common <laughs> okay. wisdom that we from all the know. Goofy Greats album. <laughs> no, it's on Kooky Country. Okay, that's fine. Dave has all those albums. I if do. you want to borrow them, come over to Dave's place. He will trade them yep. uh, for any Tintin books uh, that give you the full uh, thing. Uh, but here's the thing about sharks. I'm just going to tell you this real quick. Um, yes, it looks like sharks do sleep. There are sleeping sharks. First of all, as you know, they have to move forward continuously or they'll die. Uh, so they are always moving. They don't just stay still. But, but they, can, they can lay in a current. They can lay in a current. That's yeah. true. That does work. But there's cave sharks that they've gone, oh, there's clearly sleeping. Uh, but people swim by and the sharks will follow them even though it seems they're asleep. Oh. So there's part of the shark. Sleep stalking. That's basically it. Yeah. Mm. So the sharks do spot them on a, on, a, on a subconscious level or what have you, on a deeper level, and they will follow you and they could attack you even though they're still sleeping. So even though Tintin is saying these are sleeping sharks. Wow. And that will hold up in a court of law as well. Sure. Uh, a yeah. shark court. Yeah. That's right. The court of jaws. That's right. uh, so uh, Tintin works his way up the uh, anchor chain, uh, checking out the ship. So good. It is very, yeah, it's a very good, uh, very good scene. Uh, he spots. Uh, so, uh, let, me just, let me just interrupt you, sorry. Please, so please. he comes down the steps. And he's walking down along the deck of the ship, and then we see him kind of look forward, and we're, we're not sure what he's looking at. There actually was a sequence in here where he finds a black cat, mm. and the cat causes a lot of trouble for him, and he can't get rid of the cat. And then that's what causes someone to notice and call down then and say, what's happening down below? That's what they're saying in Spanish there, que pasa aquí abajo. So they're saying, what's going on down there? And then Tintin hears them, and then he runs and hides. But the reason that they hear him is because of this whole black cat ah. stuff. But that had to get cut out because of space considerations. All right. It's uh, Tintin's relationship with cats is interesting in uh, the series. It's usually a cat's a jerk. Yeah. Usually chased by Snowy, and usually uh, gets so much weird because Ergie was a complete cat person. Rather, oh, that's rather than a dog person, yeah. There you yeah. Go. Uh, well, when you make your dog the co-star, cats turn out to be jerks in your story. That's what's going to happen. And one thing I like in the next section is... Mm -hmm. um, why, don't you just why don't you take us through the okay, next section? Okay, sure, sure. So we, Tintin, uh, when he's when he is not necessarily spotted, when, when the disturbance is heard below, he goes and hides in a hallway or passageway in the ship. And what's interesting here is there's a scene where a door opens and then the light comes out. And we see someone with a poncho stepping out of the, out of the doorway. And so we come to a the fourth panel where the person's stepping out of the doorway and Erge and, and, and sorry, Tintin is, is hopping through a doorway to hide. A classic example of what Hergé loved to do, which is to have moments in time that are happening sort of apart from each other, happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So you have that person stepping out of the room, Tintin seeing him and jumping through the doorway all contained in that one panel. Right. You know, so you get past and future at the same time. He loved to do that. So I think if... This would be another favorite panel of his if he was thinking of panels that he loved so much. Yeah, I also like, if you look on the left-hand side of the page, uh, the second tier and then the third tier, yeah. it's the fella coming forward and it's the fella going back. It's a yeah. nice balance there. Yeah, and you see the black cat, yeah. uh, which was cut out of the sequence. So why is that cat there? Uh, that's why. Because he... yeah, there's mice on the ship and you want to get rid yeah. of them, so you have a cat on the ship. Makes sense. I mean, it does give, it does give an excuse for why there was noise. Well, it's just the cat. Yeah. Because, well, we'll just explain. So this... This fellow, this Indian fellow, leaves the uh, this 
leaves the uh, room on the ship, goes down the passageway. Tinian's hiding in one of the one of the rooms, which is not a name for something on a boat, but I can't think of what it is. And then uh, once again, Dave was a fisherman, has forgotten everything <laughs> about forgotten how everything boats about work. I just slept in a bunk downstairs. I didn't have my own room. No, a bunk. No, I didn't a have fancy a, term. Like have bunk. a what's a room? Love boat. Come on, think about it. What do they? What do they cabin. go to? The cabin. There you go. He's in the cabin. Thank you. Love cabins. They called them on love. They called love, love cabins. That's once right. again, well, thanks for dating us uh, on this. But like. You, <laughs> 70s TV show references. Uh-huh. Stop it. That's fine. We're young and hip. Let's keep going. Okay. I'm going to put I'm just going to adjust my square glasses. Sure, sure. We'll talk about One Direction later. Um <laughs> for a One Direction podcast. So, uh then uh the this Indian comes out on deck and this guy says, you know, what's going on, Chiquito? And he says, nothing. It was just the cat. And then uh, Tintin in Spanish. Is very happy, yes. I also read Spanish. Did you know that? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and so then uh, Tintin says, uh, hooray, or this he says, chic, chic. They think that it was a cat. Um, so then uh, we see the Indian walking back down the, the passageway. And then, er, then Tintin is just, suddenly hears some ron ron sounds, which is the French for snoring, and turns, and there is Calculus laying in the uh, bunk in the cabin. Because I've got the English version. I've got the zzzz. Yeah. And if you look at it, you can see where they've they've kind of blotted out the uh, kind of it's kind of fuzzy there because they've they've erased something. Sure, uh, wakes him up, tries to wake him up. So there, he tries to wake up uh, Monsieur Tournesol, or Professor Calculus. He is, you know, pulling out his shoulders and trying to wake him up, but he is just not waking up. And then he f- finds ah the bracelet of the mummy on on uh, Calculus's wrist. And then at that moment, lights go on. The lights go on, and someone says, "I'm gonna." Does he say the? Bracelet? See, bracelet? the bracelet of Raskar okay. Kapak. The bracelet of Raskar Kapak. And we have Chiquito has a gun trained on Tintin. And, of course, he wants to know, what are you doing with this? What are you doing with Professor Calculus? He says he has, you know, broken the sacred law. He's, he's put on the thing. He's, put he's on done the bad bracelet, thing. Yeah. And now, then Chiquito makes the, ah, with Tintin, the terrible mistake of not looking at him for a moment because he doesn't know it's a comic. Right. And in an instant, a panel. Mm-hmm. He can be suddenly in the next panel, and he has that punching late, you. a late night snack, uh, Tintin special, the knuckle sandwich. The knuckle sandwich <laughs> knocks him backwards out the door. Then he takes off at a run, and uh, whoop, finds another guy. Does his classic uh, Tintin headbutt to the stomach, uh, headbutt to the gut. Yep, that's right. That's what it's called. Even in French, headboot to the goot. <laughs> sure. And uh, the uh, then he jumps overboard, and I like. And then you have Tint, or sorry, Captain Haddock in the boat. Uh, his hat flying off of his head as he hears the sound of shots fired on the ship. He's very worried. He, he attempts to row out to, to find Tintin, but uh, in his excitement, he forgets to put the oars in the water, pulls back, and falls backwards into the boat, uh, yelling, probably saying something like blue blistering barnacles. I got blistering barnacles. In French, me sabord. And uh, then uh, he uh, suddenly he sees Tintin swimming towards the boat, helps him up into the Yeah, the Snowy's boat. letting him know that he's yeah. there, pulls yeah. him up. Uh, calculus is on board. Captain, I saw him. Uh, they're going to put him to death. They say he committed sacrilege by wearing a bracelet. Back to shore. We must get reinforcements. What's interesting, though, is they're just how they just seem very unconcerned about the fact that there's bullets coming down around them. They can see the splash of the bullet in the water right beside the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't seem to be worried. Yeah, well, you they're know. They're firing low. I guess they're just firing low. It's this fine. is a typical day. I mean, it's like Tintin <laughs> being put to death, you know, and he's in a prison cell. It's just like, well, it must be Thursday. Because this is what happens to me all the time. Yeah. Uh, also, they're very excited. There's a lot of adrenaline going on here, dealing with things. By the way, Tintin was right about those sharks. No sharks. Good for him. Uh, gets to shore. 
uh, <laughs> is putting on his jacket as the captain runs for a phone booth. Uh, and uh, it's police headquarters, and now we got a lazy guy. I love this. I love how he's drawn. Really though. nicely designed lazy guy. Yeah. Was like, oh, you want to talk to the captain? His... You're not talking to the captain. What? It's it's four in the morning. What's wrong with you? No, no, you got to tell him it's urgent. Eh, you're breaking my heart. Look, uh, no one wakes up the captain, uh, chief inspector, at four a.m. But you must wake him. You ah, oh, nothing. Nothing but this jerk. Now, in the original magazine run, uh, at this point, uh, Haddock goes to call back. Mm-hmm. And then he gets a wrong number. It gets a cuts the butcher style wrong number. And then hangs up again. And then that's why he says, I have an idea. I'll call the, uh, instead of trying to call this guy back, I'll call the uh, DuPont and DuPont or Thompson. Yeah, the Thompsons. Thompson. Yeah. And we know that he thinks these guys are idiots. So he's on his last. <laughs> that's how desperate leave. he is. You know, yeah. he's got no choice. Uh, and he's not wrong. It takes a lot to get these guys out of bed. You know, aren't you going to answer the phone? Me? Uh, certainly not. How can I? I'm asleep. That one. I've had a roommate, and we've done similar things with that. When sure. a phone or a yep. door knocking, I wish I could help you, but uh, nope. <laughs> not going to happen at all. Meanwhile, uh, we keep cutting back and forth with uh, Tintin on the, on the beach, uh, noticing the boat getting nearer. Uh, you know, uh, telling Snowy, don't show yourself, hiding behind rocks, and notices they're carrying, Tintin notices they're carrying calculus ashore. Yeah. So he knows what's up. So then Haddock arrives at the beach with Thompson and Thompson. Mm-hmm. Now it's morning. The daylight has come. They're walking. They're searching along the beach. There's no sign of, of Tintin anywhere. Yeah. Well, we actually saw dawn breaking uh, on true. the previous thing. That's yeah. true. And then, uh, so we know time has passed. Then Captain finds some traces of some footsteps, and he and the Thompsons try and follow them. And then they decide they're going to separate. They're going to split up to continue their search. So, yeah. of course, Haddock warns them to keep their eyes open. Well, no, before that, there's a joke before that, which is just like, we've got to split up. But there's three of us. Uh, You know, uh, half of three is one and a half. Oh, you're right. What do we do? How about you two go that way? I go this way. Sounds good. And it's, I think Haddock enjoys it when they're around just because he does not get the physical comedy uh, <laughs> business happening to him when they're That's around. Right. When, when it's just him and Tintin, he's the one getting spit in the face by the llama. But if those two are around, they're getting the lamp, they're getting uh, pooped on by the seagulls. Or in this case, I'll let you say the gag. In this case, they say, of course we'll keep our eyes open. No, count on us. We'll, and then they walk into a sign. Yeah. That's right a blind away. corner. <laughs> Blind corner, yes. So uh, the Which next is good. It actually works better in uh, it works better in in um, English than French because French it's just dangerous. Well, it's kind of like dangerous face or da- yeah. I like pretty. that you had to struggle to find the word for English. <laughs> um, I have to struggle to find a lot of words. <laughs> let's be fair. So it's many hours. I've heard l- myself on the show. <laughs> sure. I never listen to the show. Uh, so the captain is walking down. So you edit the show. You sure do. Uh, captain is walking uh, down a path many hours later and uh, finds a young uh, man, looks like, uh, asking if uh, he's seen a young European with a white dog. And uh, presto changeo, it's Tintin. In in the magazine version, uh, before Tintin reveals himself, Hergé actually draws a chalk drawing on the side of the wall. of draws a drawing of Tintin to show what he looks like. Oh, so the captain drew this? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then uh, it was cut out. This is before photographs existed, I suppose. It would be kind of odd, carrying around a photograph of Tintin. <laughs> it would be weird, wouldn't it? Come yeah, on. That's true. All right, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Terrible, in fact. Yeah, you, you got me properly. F- well, the amount of times that the captain does have to show tell someone, no. where's my friend? Has no. he been kidnapped and put to death? It's weird. Over and over it's again. It's weird all the way. All right. 
right? Get a, Don't even a, go there. Bring a newspaper that Tintin's in. He's in a lot of news stories. What's weird about this drawing is is uh, in the top tier, the drawing of this odd-looking fellow wearing this, you know, this sort of uh, Andean dunce cap pulled down over his head. But his mouth, he doesn't look like Tintin at all. It's no, like no, Tintin's no. making a face. Yeah. Well, maybe Tintin is making a face. He's got buck teeth. Uh, and then? Yeah, fair enough. And then they, he reveals himself to the captain, who... Did not recognize him at all. Yeah, you had me properly fooled. Honestly, I'd never recognized you, but why the disguise? Well, come along. Let me explain. Uh, explains that shortly after they uh, le- uh, after you left, they brought Calculus ashore. They had accomplices waiting on the beach. They lifted him uh, onto a llama and led him away. I followed at a distance, making sure that I would not be spotted. Yeah. I don't know where he got the clothes from. Maybe punched a guy, took some clothes. You know his his secret size, this guy's kit that he keeps in his pocket. That is true. He does have one of those. Has a white beard and a fisherman's cap in it. Yeah. Oh, wait, sorry. Here's the answer in the next one. Hastily <laughs> bought a cap and poncho at the market. Good for him. So he's able to get close to them. And uh, there you go. One thing that uh, Erge did was he had a poncho made. He had a poncho made so that Jacobs could wear it, so he could he could sketch him <laughs> in the poncho, so he could figure out like how the folds worked and stuff like that. Okay. Because a lot of there's a lot of times where when they were when they were drawing that they would both pose for each other, so they could get quick sketches wow. of, of various. Let's hope they never attitudes. posed in that SS uniform, because that would be bad if anyone came in. Yeah, that would look bad. All right. So uh, they'd uh, obviously they drugged him, says Tintin. Followed. Especially with the photos they carried of each other. <laughs> I got a photo of you somewhere on me. Uh, <laughs> he followed him like a sleepwalker. Uh, then the train left without me. Uh, I didn't have enough money for a ticket. Well, the first time Tintin didn't have enough money for something. Uh, yeah. Then he retraced his steps, hoping to find you, the captain. Oh, so uh, angry captain at this whole thing. Uh, Tintin says the train unfortunately only runs every other day. Uh, but why are you here by yourself? Where are the police? Uh, still in bed, and the Thompsons are hot on your trail somewhere. Cut to. Uh, two very hot Thompsons uh, <laughs> with their jackets off, steaming and walking uh, down like a desert path, it looks like. For once, not appropriately dressed in native garb. That is true. Um, Let's go two days later. So, yes. Et la sur la, sur lendemain, two days later. Uh, so we see the train station. We, of course, they're being watched by an Indian wearing his poncho. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of dun-dun-dun. There is. And so, and there's a lot of Indians wearing ponchos, so you're not too sure who, who is good, who is bad. Uh, so then the train starts leaving the stations with a toot, and there it goes there in a reserved car. I guess having to wait two days, they're able to, uh, to make, I don't know if it says that in, in the English version, but in the French version, it says voiture réservé. Okay. And, uh, so, uh, Hergé, you know, he had to do a lot of research. He had to do a lot of trains, let's face it. He liked to draw trains. He actually owned a two-volume pictorial encyclopedia of trains around the world. Oh, I thought you were going to say he owned a train. <laughs> no, he did not own a train. He did not own a train. Okay. He owned a book, two books of pictures of trains. Nice. So he had an exact, uh, he, in the book, it shows p- trains in Peru. So he's able to like look up Peru, oh, what cool. Peruvian trains look like, and draw them. He makes it look very comfortable, the two of them riding. Uh, they are in their uh, cabin before it takes off. Uh, yeah. His captain yeah. saying, luckily we arrived in good time. The train's going to be crammed. Well, you had a reservation. Doesn't matter. You still get the same seats. One thing about this book, I'm just going to say something about the art, is that um, you really start seeing Hergé exploring different angles and different shots. You don't get a lot of like before. We get a lot of similar attitudes, like characters standing the same way. Yes. A lot of straight-on shots of them, side, you know, sideways shots. Now we're getting a lot of three-quarter angle, up, down. You know, we got this great shot of the train leaving the station or going through the. Through the the I guess it's through through the valley and then and on a big giant trestle a big bridge going over the water yeah. so you get these senses of 
of of expanse, how big it is, and then you cut to them inside their car. So it's just very film like, very cinema, very uh, cinematic. Yeah, it's also nice seeing Snowy sne- sleeping and just feeling very <laughs> relaxed. Now the uh, the Indian, and not having something hit, hitting his tail. The uh, Indian gentleman uh, in the poncho uh, talks to it looks like a steward or some such or someone who's in, uh, got some sort of uh, thing to do with the train, and the person is going, "No, no, it's impossible. You ask too much. I cannot." And they uh, fell on the poncho. No, it's his order. And you know what happens to those who disobey him. Uh, and half an hour later, off goes the train. Oh, there's not a lot of passengers on here. That's strange. Uh, Captain goes for a walk. Goes, you know, we're the only people on this uh, this uh, car- carriage. Huh, interesting. Yeah. So uh, off they go. Uh, well, we're slowing down, says uh, Tintin. Tintin. I expect notices, we're yeah. coming to a station. Looks out the window, sees that they have disconnected. Their, their uh, carriage is disconnected from the uh, from the other train. This, uh, was, this was apparently an idea of Jacob's to have the, the car disconnected from yeah, the... Yeah, it's, it's a very exciting sequence. Yeah. Uh, so this is where, like, if this was a movie, this is where the movie got started. We're mm-hmm. going. Here we go. Uh, so uh, Tintin makes the captain jump off. It's not too uh, far a distance, but uh, you really get that sense of speed. Yeah, uh, the way ca- he's, his, his feet are running out from he's kind of running out from under his feet. Yeah, with speed uh, rolling down the hill, lands in a cactus. <laughs> uh, exciting, uh, co- uh, funny, uh, and then Tintin. The captain asks, "Where are the Thompsons?" <laughs> That's right. Yeah, if the Thompsons were here, this wouldn't happen to me. Uh, so Tintin's about to jump, and then he remembers, "Oh, Snowy." Uh, runs back in, sees Snowy is still sleeping, all oh, little Snowy. But I like that he, he, as soon as he decides that, the train goes into a tunnel, and so he loses his way and bangs his head. Yes. Yeah, uh, so, and also gives uh, someone a break, uh, drawing-wise, for a while. Uh, at least two panels. <laughs> one tiny little panel. Two. Two panels. You know what's, well, but it's what, like one narrow, you know, it would be one panel. Sure. This is, it would be narrow. one, but unfortunately it's two, but, so uh, I'm, I'm right. I think one interesting <laughs> thing is, is when you look at these these versions, the color versions, is and we've not I've really thought about this before, but is how much he Erge learned of economy of panels from working in Le Soir. You know, like you see that you don't see you don't notice it so much with um like uh in the when he was doing the Petit Vantiem and stuff like that where he was working in these big two panel spreads, it's not until he had to like kind of really narrow his focus and get as much as he could into the panels that you start seeing the form how the color albums would start to turn out. And they were all done after his time with Le Soir, oh, okay. Le Soir. So he was able to apply that to the color albums. Speaking of color, uh, after he grabs uh, Snowy, he realizes it's too late to jump off uh, where he is. They'd be killed. But sees an emergency break, and I like the color red of the emergency break. That's yeah. what the color should sure, be. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. Grabs it. Pulls off. Sabotage. <laughs> oh, no. This is not looking good. Someone is throwing their shoes in the works. Uh, they're going over a bridge, a viaduct, a river. Uh, Snowy, old boy, this is it. Wait for it. And the two of them jump off the bridge. Uh, harrowing jump. Uh, I like Tintin uh, holding Snowy. Yeah, that's great. Very sweet. That's great. Uh, lands in the water, which now, David likes because he, he loves oh, Hergé's water. And his splashes are great, too. That's yeah. very hard to do. Uh, just a question. Is yes. this possible? Is this physically possible for you to jump from a train mm-hmm. over a narrow gorge? Because wouldn't you be traveling with, with the velocity of the train so it would actually carry Tintin into the hill on the opposite side it of the... It depends, I would say, when you jump. When he jumped, yeah, yeah. He'd have to time it very carefully. He would have to time it very carefully, but uh, this is Tintin, and Tintin knows what he's doing. I didn't see him get a slide reel out, so I don't know. Also, this does not look like deep water to me, Um, because there's no... uh, It's not moving at all. It's very still water down there. Well, deep water would be actually more still than than, uh, shallow water. Oh, you raise a good point. Yeah. All right. And it looks like it's like a valley, so it's probably like a crevice river, so it's quite deep. Right, and we see the last uh, panel on that page is rippling water. Is everyone okay? 
Snowy pops his head up uh, in a bit of pain, uh, looking for Tintin, then, yeah. and in uh, a very cute sequence, uh, Tintin's head pops up underneath Snowy. It's very cute. And if then, you like dogs, this is a good story for you. And then to- Snowy tumbles into the water off of Tintin. Yeah, head. that's true, because Snowy now is comedy relief because the captain isn't around. This is the way the pecking order goes. <laughs> Captain's here. Captain gets hurt instead of Snowy. Snowy's the only one around. Snowy gets hurt. Thompson's are around. Thompson's get hurt. Captain's okay. Snowy's okay. Tintin gets hurt, too. Tintin gets hurt. If Tintin's alone, Tintin was alone walking down the hall, so he takes the blows. That's why <laughs> well, he's got everyone around him for protection. That's why, yeah. that's why he has companions. Absolutely. He really actually doesn't like them very much. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like, uh, actually, with Tintin's uh, swimming, this is the first time I've seen this, where his uh, quiff yeah. uh, goes a little limp, yeah, that's right. a little wet. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you'd think the humidity would do that too, but apparently not. Nope. And then a great sequence of him climbing up that cliff. Come up to, coming up to the tracks. It's just wonderful, like a shot down into the water down yeah. below. Yeah, you really, really nice get the scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wandering through the uh, through the train. Looking uh, for the captain. Yeah. And then we get that great sequence where they both see each other on on from a distance on the track. And both of them, well, in French, they both say, there he is. Yay, hooray, hooray. <laughs> oh, okay. In, uh, in the French, it says, le voilà, le, le voilà. So it's like, there he is. Safe and sound. What an escape. <laughs> uh, then uh, a gentleman working for the train company goes, Oh, you were in the runaway coach? Able to wait a jump in time? How fortunate. I'm in charge of the uh, the next station when the train arrived and found a coach missing. I was most upset. It's the first accident we've ever had. Was not an accident at all. You know, and Tintin says, Attempted murder! So there we go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're going to uh, Jaga. Uh, will you take us there? Some hours later, I think it'd be, be Yaga. Yaga sounds yeah. good. Uh, some hours later in Yaga. Oh, so and again another boy, another runaround. These guys, anytime they're sitting at a desk across from someone, they're getting no help at all. No help at all. But the guy at first, he seems like he's going to help them. He he does know what's about the, yeah. the calculus. Little he, black beard and glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. He, accu- Wait. he describes them accurately, and then then he disco- then he discovers oh the Indians are involved. And particular Indians are involved. No, he he uh, clams up. Yeah, no, no. I think I think it might have been a tall, a tall man, clean shaven. You just said that it was like, nah, nah, no, I was mistaken. Okay, interview's over. We're done. Moving along. <laughs> That's right. and, uh, nothing so, to see here. Nothing to see here. Moving along. So uh, off they go. Tintin and the captain wa- walking down the the street. Everyone seems to be looking at them uh, as they uh, as they strut down the street. And uh, Tintin says. Uh, only when one thing left to do, split up and question some of the locals. Yeah. Right, says the captain. We'll meet outside of the station in an hour. So uh, the captain's asking around. You seen a short man with little uh, beard uh, wearing glasses? No say. Uh, short man, little beard. No other one. No say. Another person. No say. Wow, it's the only uh, words these people uh, seem to know. These centipedes. And then a <laughs> beggar asks him, uh, "Por favor, kind señor." No say, says him. Kind of not great to be doing that to the beggar, but, you know, he's in a bad mood. I'm not justifying it. I'm not justifying it at all. Let's uh, cut to Tintin, see how he's doing. Uh, he's uh, walking up, going to ask a young orange seller uh, about this, and uh, two bullies, two real jerks yeah. are there. Uh, see the guy with his uh, big tray of oranges? Uh, kick it! Yeah. Going, ah, check this out. Kicks it. There, the guy's going for his oranges. He steps on his hand. Too much. Reminiscent of the Blue Lotus. Okay, yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, and uh, Tintin has had enough of this, calls him a brute, gives him a shove, 
And then once again, it's lunchtime and it's knuckle sandwiches all around. Actually, he doesn't really hit the guy. He tries to avoid the fight. That's true. That is true. He just right. does a lot of dodging and actually he bumps his head against the wall. Mm-hmm. And I'll point out that he bumps his head against the wall and Snowy's there. So that kind of blows your whole hierarchical injury theory out of the water. Anyway. Yeah. I guess you're going to say the exception that proves the rule? No, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say that it's not time for comedy. This is action. So, but, did, uh, but it is comedy. He bangs his head against the wall. Yeah. He, do you think that's a uh, that's uh, comedy? I think uh, I don't think you get a big laugh out of that. I think you get now Tintin's in danger because he's oh, hurt. Okay. He's injured. What's going to happen next? Okay. Uh, he dodges out of the way and exactly where he hit his head on the wall. That's where the guy smacks his hand. Uh, then his goon friend is coming up behind Tintin. That's just not cool. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Snowy bites him on the buttocks. Who can blame him? No, and uh, barks and chases him off. Good for Snowy. And he's so happy carrying the uh, tattered pants remnants in his in his. Oh, he mouth. loves carrying tattered pants. If, if, if it's not a bone. Yeah, if, if it's not a gigantic, comedically large bone, it is tattered <laughs> pants. Yes. So off they go. Well, doesn't help us fight uh, find Professor Calculus, but but then a voice from over uh, from inside a hedge uh, tells him. Uh, you, you not, uh, look this way. You tie up your shoelace. I know where your friend is prisoner. You bring, uh, guns and come tomorrow at sunrise to the bridge of the Inca, you understand? Bridge of the Inca. You go now. And Tintin goes now. He does. Yeah. With a tied, uh, shoelace. For once. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Uh, but Tintin is then confronted by another fella. Why don't you take it? So then he is, uh, meets, meets up with the Indian who's been following him, actually, with his, his colorful poncho and strange slouch hat. And he says, you listen to me. I, I'm going to do this in, in French. Uh, French to English. So I, sorry if it's a little different in their translation. Okay. He says, you listen to me, senor. He says, I saw you defend that little Indian, that you are very good. You're very brave. And he says, uh, and, and who are you? He says, I'm giving you advice. And he, what he does is he just warns him that he's in danger. Yeah. And that the, the journey he's going to take is very dangerous. And he says, how do you know? And he says, I know. It's kind of a written pigeon French in here. It's yeah. kind of moi savoir, you know. So, but uh, you, you know, so then he basically what he does is after he warns him, he gives him a pendant that will bring him, uh, give him good luck or brings him safety, right. keep him out of danger. Now this is the it's guy. Basically, a get out of jail free card. Right. This is the guy who tried to murder him on the train. That's right. That's right. But but Tintin has impressed him by his because he's such a courageous, good-hearted fellow. I'm glad he didn't see the captain being a jerk to that panhandler. <laughs> yeah. Now, in once again, in the uh, original version, so we come to night, so we have nighttime. Okay. Or it's dawn, actually. The next yeah. morning, uh, at dawn, Haddock and Tintin approach a stone hut, a stone house on the outskirts of town, I imagine. And this is where they're going to meet this mysterious whisperer in the bush. Mm-hmm. Now, in the uh, in the magazine version, there was a sequence where uh, Zerino has to escape from the Indians in order to meet uh, Erge, sorry, Erge, come on, you want to say Erge, meet Tintin and Haddock at, at this house. So there's a little bit of a business where he gets away from them, and then he comes to the house, and then you hear him uh, going, pss, pss, and then he starts talking to uh, Tintin and Haddock, who run over to it and meet Zerino. They're a surprise, of course. We it's, knew that he was going the there. the orange cellar, yeah. Yeah, they're very excited. They're very, very happy to meet him. So he comes... Takes them over a uh, over a bridge, and then let them know him. that uh, if the Indians see me, they'll kill me. Yes, and, yeah. And then he brings out Haddock's favorite animals, two llamas, <laughs> and and then but Haddock 
being, you know, Haddock, says, I am not scared of these creatures. There's nothing they can do to me. I'll just fix them with a, you know, with a stare that will tame them. And then the uh, llama bites his beard. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good image. And uh, then uh, Haddock says, ooh la la in French. Oh, I got uh, you miserable. Well, it goes, yow. Yeah, and then, then miserable iconoclast. Yep, and then slaps the llama on the side of the face. Not a good thing to do. Yeah. And the uh, llama spits gives, in his face. Gives him a shower. Not just spits in his face. Gives him a shower. He's as if drenched. a hose was sprayed in yeah. his face. Yeah, and then a uh, kid tries to explain when llamas are angry. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. They always do that. <laughs> well, co- comedy relief aside, let's go for a walk. <laughs> and off they go. Yeah, so some nice, uh, nice drawings of rocks. Some very nice and, yeah, rocks very and nice. Uh, cactus. And, yeah, going along. Uh, and then uh, the, the boy tells him uh, he's a prisoner in the Temple of the Sun. Uh, but no one will tell you. They're all afraid. Afraid of who? Afraid of Inca, senor. Vengeance of Inca. Uh, terrible when uh, Indian tell uh, white man what white man must not know. Yes. Yeah, terrible. But Temple, with, with, Temple says, of the Sun. Well, that's the... That's almost the, t- the title of this story. It's the title of this story. Yeah, but not the title of the English version. Yes. Um, so then, uh, now in the, once again, in the magazine version, there was a sequence where as they're climbing higher and higher, uh, Haddock starts to get altitude sickness. Oh. And so Sereno gives him some coca leaves to chew. So Haddock chews these coca leaves, gets very energetic, and becomes charging up the, the pathway. And then he gets up there and he, and he finds a skull on a stick. And, of course, he comes blundering into it. And then that, that's a warning from the Incas that, you know, to go any farther means death. So they've cut the coca part out they of They cut out the coca, yes. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know who it's doing any harm to. I don't know. Take a, take promotional, a guess. Take pr- a guess. Uh, promotional coke. I don't think that's the way that goes. Oh, wait, anyway. <laughs> so uh, the that evening, uh, there's it's a... It's the real thing. It, it is in many ways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it adds life. <laughs> it does. Take some away, too, sometimes. Uh, there is Chalpa, senor, old Inca tomb. Uh, we'll spend the night there and go on again in the morning, which they do. Uh, they, they all uh, cuddle up for the night. Well, they don't cuddle up together, but they uh, uh, Snowy's cuddling well, up next to All of them to looking us. at pictures of each other. <laughs> That's right. And now it's time for some surreal dreams uh, yeah. that the Tintin's having. Uh, it's, it's great. I love the... Uh, well, I mean, it's obviously an echo back to the skull that they found on the path, which you don't see, but I love that goldfish bowl with the plants growing out of it that are actual real death head flowers. Yeah. And it's uh, Calculus uh, who is has got his um, divining... Uh, what would you call that? His, yeah, his uh, pendulum. His pendulum. pendulum, yeah. Yeah, where, where he's just going to get stabbed in the back by an Incan gentleman. Then it's uh, Tintin. Uh, talking to the captain, wearing an Incan uh, headdress, and there's a very tiny calculus uh, next to him, uh, and asking, uh, you know, have you uh, a license for that gun that he's holding? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tintin, as fire rains down from the sky, burning him. Uh, but it turns out when he wakes up, it was just a beam of sunlight coming uh, through a crack yeah. uh, that woke him up. But very funny image. And it's it's a yeah, it's interesting too that it, I like how it relates to something that's happening to him when he wakes up as well. That's good. Now everyone's gone. When he wakes up, he discovers that he is alone in his little uh, stone, whatever that is, stone house. And he's calling he, for, with an echo. He searches around. He finds uh, uh, Zerino's hat, but no Zerino. And a very angry captain who is tied up uh, yes. in a poncho. Snowy calls to him and he, f- he runs over and finds, yes, the captain tied up in a poncho with his mouth gagged. And furious when he uh, when the ropes are taken off, uh, pulling a lizard out that uh, was waltzing along his spine for the whole <laughs> night. 
drops it down, Snowy chases it, and because Snowy is now alone chasing it, he's the comedy relief, uh, smacks his face into some rocks. <laughs> You're going to keep on that. Um, Tell me if I'm wrong, uh, readers, if this is not the hierarchy. Okay. There's a pecking order, and it seems to be this. Uh, Captain explains what happened. Okay, you go ahead. All right. I was going, uh, getting on towards midnight, and I was walking up and down to keep warm. Suddenly a shadow rose up in front of me. It wasn't time uh, to move a muscle. Wham! I felt a violent blow on my head. Next thing I knew, I was gagged uh, with that lizard down my neck. Uh, what about Zerino? And uh, Tintin tells him he's vanished. And so the llamas, the supplies, you know, uh, oh, no, our guns, the oh, those gangsters, uh, bandits, filibusters, pirates. Oh, what are we going to do now? Well, we got to try to find Zoro, says Tintin, then tackle who's ever... Zorino. Zorino, sorry about that. Yeah. Zorino, then tackle who's ever... Zoro would be his grown-up name. Also, actually... Uh, Zorino Z- means little Zoro. Zoro would not have uh, been kidnapped, because uh, Zoro really knows his way around a sword, that guy. It's really good. Uh, then uh, uh, Tintin calls for Snowy, uh, gives him a little sniff of Zorino's uh, cap, and uh, off Snowy goes. Good for Snowy. Yes. Uh, two hours later... It's good for Snowy following that, that scent so long. Uh, they find a path that doubles back down uh, the, where uh, you know, I think the people will pass directly below us. Uh, they decide to take a shortcut down the cliff where they could surprise them, uh, tell Snowy to stay here and uh, for the captain to come on down, which they do. Uh, I love that uh, panel of, of Tintin sort of h- hugging against the cliff face. He's walking a very narrow ledge, looking down, and then you see the captain behind, much more uh, timid with a little... You know, the little fear yeah. lions coming off the ground. And he like, should Oof. be. This is very, very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, so spots the uh, people coming by. Careful, not a sound. And then the captain falls down onto his back. Falls down onto his back. Now, before you turn the page... Oh, sorry about that. I turned it. I will uh, leave it there. Uh, you can turn it. It's fine. But before you go, go on, the, the next uh, the next week... So um, there is a, a notice in, in the magazine, in Tintin magazine, and it said... Our friend Erge needed a rest. Please do not worry. He is in good health. But by expending all his energy to meet the deadline of two pages of Prisoners of the Sun, our friend exhausted himself. He will be back very shortly, God willing. He is developing the f- the further adventures of Tintin and his brave companions. We are taking advantage of his short inter- of this short intermission to publish, as many of you have requested, the new adventures of Quick and Flipka. We are sure that they will entertain you. And what happened was, is Erge disappeared. And no one knew where he went. What? Yeah. He just was gone. Uh, so this happened a month after he and, and Jacobs finished the end of their relationship. So he worked for another month on Tintin. And what happened was he was basically having a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he just basically, uh, he was diagnosed by doctors who said he was beginning to show signs of, of nervous exhaustion and depression. He's basically suffering from overwork and he needed to go and and uh have a have a rest so you know he was used to working hard he's out he'd been working from you know forever like since whenever he started doing tintin let's say 1929 he'd been working steadily at tintin and other things every day for you know all that time you know so that was part of it but also i think he was beginning to suffer from depression yeah and i think he's probably kind of mixed in with like something like um ptsd you know he's going through all this stress and strain and it's finally kind of been released. And so all the adrenaline and all the, all this nervous energy that he's been expending, you know, keeping himself going through this time period, you know, he's, he's run out of that, you know, cause he can't keep producing it forever. And now that yeah. times has relaxed, makes sense, yeah. you know, he's starting to collapse. And so, uh, you know, he didn't really want to go, but the doctors convinced him that he should take time off 
And so he just kind of just left without warning. Without telling anybody. Yeah. He oh, went and wow. stayed uh, in the in the Abbey, an Abbey uh, Notre Dame de Scourmont. Which do you, do you think he didn't tell anybody because they would have tried to convince him yeah. not to go? Yeah, I do think that. I think they would have come after him and and dragged him back as well. Right. And so, um, yeah, he stayed there, and that's where we talked a little bit about Father Gall when we were doing Tintin in the Ameri- in America, mm-hmm. which was he was the he was the the uh, father who was really into into Native Americans, and he was actually like a, a member of the Sioux tribe. An honorary member, uh, because he just knew so much about them and was so, int- you know, intricately involved in their culture and stuff like that, that they, even though he lived in another co- continent, they made him an honorary Sioux. Uh, so yeah. So he was away for a few weeks, came back to Brussels, and the same problems existed. The same stresses, everything was the same, only now it seemed more, because he's more, he's more aware and yeah. he's more, you know, the, the nerves are raw, so it's actually bothering him more. And so he left again. Almost right away, left again. And this time he went and stayed with a family in Switzerland who didn't even know who he was. He just stayed with them and went canoeing and spending the day sleeping, taking photographs, just wasting his time, just doing yeah. his thing, you know, just having some fun. And then, uh, you know, after that, you know, a little bit of that, finally re- came back to the magazine and started to work on uh, Tintin. You know, but he was really feeling like it was just so much work, like it was too much work. And so what uh, the magazine did was to reduce his workload is they took away the bottom tier. So now he was just working on two tiers of of drawings. And the bottom tier was given over to like an uh, educational insert called Who Were the Incas? And it'd be, mm. it would be full of like kind of information about Incan architecture and rituals. And and who would draw that? Uh, most likely um, like his assistant would okay. work on those, that kind of stuff. Um, the problem for, I think the real problem for, for Erge and why he was starting to feel depression, why this was starting to crowd onto him, was because I think I said a little earlier was he just couldn't accept the fact that he was no longer universally loved, you know, as the creator of, of Tintin. Mm-hmm. You know, before this time, everyone loved Hergé. He was he was Tintin. He was this great guy. Now, yes, he was the creator of Tintin, but he was also a Nazi collaborator in the eyes of some people. Yeah. So he'd lost the sort of universal love that he once once basked in. You know, I'm sure there's people who didn't like him, but it wasn't like a majority. It would be like a few sourpusses that would you know be complaining. You could ignore those, and. You know, he and you know he just what he was learning was that he was ne- he was never going to escape this brand of the incivique, this the the non-citizen, you know, the uncitizen. He would never ever ever escape that. He would never be accepted. I mean, it wasn't until 1958 that he actually officially met uh, a Belgium political official, or whatever. He met the British ambassador in 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 London. That was in 1958. I mean, it's a long time after this, mm-hmm. this time taking place. So in Le Soir, the newspaper that he worked for through the war, he was uh, unmentionable. His name was never mentioned in that newspaper. Um, you know, so, and he didn't know, like, how the, the reputation that he, that he, like, um, LeBlanc, you know, he wanted to find a publisher in France so that, you know, they could p- publish Tintin there as well. You know, a dozen publishers turned him down because it was connected with Hergé. Yeah. You know, and finally he came to Le Lombard and they, and they agreed. They're a smaller house, you know, probably a little bit more eager and desperate for, for something big like this. So they were, they overlooked that past history to publish him. And, uh, I mean, so during this time period, this is all kind of going on. Like, so he's come back. He's working on the, on the stories again. But he's feeling, you know, melancholic. He's disillusioned. And he also became restless. Uh, cause, you know, it's, it's, um, so the disappearances are a symptom of this, I think. 
you know, this kind of restlessness, this feeling of disconnected, yeah. you know, that he doesn't know where he wants to be. He's not, he's not comfortable in his skin anymore. And, uh, so in 1947, he fired his agent, he fired Bernard Terry, uh, when he learned that Terry was charging a friend, this guy named Gerard Liget Belair, who had helped him, uh, find the, the plans for the unicorn, like to go through, like, uh, and find plans for, like, a big ship from that right. time period. Uh, well, this, this guy was selling, like, sort of Tintin plans for the unicorn, uh, mm. just a little side project in his store. And so, and Erdogan was fine with it, but this uh, Ligia Belair, or, or not sorry, uh, Terry was charging this guy twenty percent. Was taking twenty percent and not giving it to Erdogan. Okay. So that All was right. that was it. So yeah, he, you're done. He was he was fired. He started making serious plans to move. He was going to emigrate to Argentina, uh, which is a weird choice considering its rep- reputation after the war as like a, a a haven for for Nazis yeah. and and collaborators to escape to. But this was his plan because he had friends that went there. Yep. So he started thinking about going there. He went, he met the Argentinian ambassador in Antwerp, not in Brussels, but in Antwerp because it would be less noticeable there. He, uh, he started, he went and met the press attache, uh, at the, uh, uh, the, the Argentine legation to discuss like the publishing industry in Argentina and how he could, you know, what he could do there. Uh, he contacted his friends and acquaintances that had moved there and he hired an agent there to start looking into opportunities for him. And he still planned to send like his pages back to Casterman. Like so he wasn't like severing ties, but he just. Um, and then as part of that, he sent off seven of his books to Walt Disney, uh, mm. suggesting that they would might be interested in his stories that they're very popular in Europe and that they might suit the style of of Disney. Unfortunately, they were not interested. They wrote back and said, "You know, we have like four years of projects that we're working on, and we just have an unlimited number of of you know of things that we you know whatever they call them." Uh, projects on you know like sort of uh you know when you pay for um, what do you yeah. call it yeah when, oh my god yeah i've made a race from your mind too i'm sorry i'll, I'll get it in a second go yeah. ahead so oh uh, yeah they so they wrote back and they said no thanks and then to make it you know clear options that, options that's right so they have all these options so this have stuff for years like yeah. in the in the pipeline right so this was unknown in america no one knew who he was i mean even it's funny just thinking like in a parallel world that disney would have worked on a tintin yeah, story and what would that have been like yeah, yeah. But I'm just, just going to briefly sidebar. My my dad uh, used to sell breakfast cereal for Quaker Oats. He was a sales sales uh, man or sales executive with Quaker Oats Company, and so he went back east for this big meeting in Quebec. And this guy wanted to sell Tintin cereal. So there's a room full of executives, you know, guys in their 30s, 40s, and this guy, you know, making his pitch, Tintin cereal, blah blah blah. It's going to sell. And finally, someone goes, "Why would someone want a cereal from a dog?" Because he was associating it with Rin Tintin. Because mm-hmm. no one knew. Who Tintin was? It was. It took a long time for him to become popular in North America. So yeah, I just they just sent back the book. Said, nah, it's okay. We don't um, need it. By the way, that guy was dumb because uh, people would have bought Rin Tintin cereal. It's <laughs> a very popular dog as well. So sure. uh, that guy was a that guy was a dummy on two levels. <laughs> <laughs> so Erje began to have not just he had had little uh, romantic entanglements. That's very European. We don't understand here in North America. But uh, he began to have serious affairs at this time. Uh, even telling Jermaine, you know, that he was madly in love with this woman, you know, and so he actually uh, disappeared for another six weeks, went to Switzerland, but he went there with a married woman uh, who was married, someone that worked for Tintin magazine. He left, yeah. went off. Oh, Europe. She was 20 years younger than him. Sure, Europe. And he uh, told Jermaine that he was uh, madly, completely with his whole being in love with this with this woman. Sure, and sure. Then, of I'm course, sure it'll all work out. It went nowhere. Oh, didn't it? No, that's a shock. Okay, it's a surprise. Once again, Europe. Okay, uh, continue. And 
you know, this time, despite he still loved Jermaine, but their marriage was starting to come to be come to pieces. Not surprising that they were married, like at the advice of someone who just wanted people to get married. Right. They weren't really didn't know each other. You know, she herself said uh, he wasn't my type of person. Like what you know, uh, he also considered uh, escaping by not renewing his contract with Tintin magazine. So it was just going to be like an out. I don't. You can keep Tintin name, whatever. I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm out. Could other people have done Tintin after him? No. No, he still. It he would still have been had called control. Tintin Magazine. Yeah, but no, with Tintin. no Tintin. Yeah, yeah. See a problem with that? Uh, yeah. He just everything was everything was. This felt terrible to him, you know. Like, and then he just dropped his plans for Argentina just out of the blue. He just gave right. up on that idea. I'm pretty sure he wasn't the only person to probably go nuts after the war. I think though, you know, I, and no, I I I'm saying go nuts, and I'm saying that in a very uh, offhanded way. Mm-hmm. But I'm, was, I'm offended. Uh, there you are. I mean. But you look at, you know, when a tragedy happens here in North America, like a 9-11 or whatever, and people are, you know, we're still obviously talking about it now, you know, uh, you know, 14 years later. And think about how soon this was after World War II, you know, and he was just right in the middle. Uh, I mean, again, it's no excuse for anything, and I don't even know if you need an excuse for anything. But you can see how everyone's uh, marbles could get shaken up and, uh, you know, you just try and figure out who you are and what the heck is going on. Yeah, and it's really hard to judge people after something like that, for sure. And he felt there's no one for him to confide in. He didn't have friends. Mm. You know, he'd broken apart from Jacobs, so they're no longer friendly in that way. You know, like I said, it wasn't like a ma- they weren't mad at each other when it broke up, but there was feelings on both sides that they right. were hurt. So they weren't friend friends anymore. You know, Malkovich is gone. He's in prison. Uh, and most of his friends were collaborators and you know, people who worked for Le Soir-Volet and were part of the Catholic right from the his Le Petit Antiem days and stuff like that. Those people are all gone to the winds now. They've gone to other countries. They've gone to Argentina. They've gone to Spain. They've left. They're gone. You know, the only people he knows are people who work on the magazine, but he can't confide to those people. There are people you work with. They're not friends. They're not yeah. deep, deep friends that you can talk about how you feel about what's happening to you. And, and there's an interesting excerpt from a letter that he wrote to his wife. And he says in it, Tintin has been, for me, the means to express myself, to project my desire for adventure and violence, the bravery and resourcefulness within me, that was within me, the need to express my vision of the modern world, so much ugliness, immorality, arms dealers, the great international corporations sacrificing the lives of men without a second thought, standing against them, a hero without fear and without fault. It's not Tintin himself who interests me, it's his actions, his adventures themselves. Tintin would like to become a man. People have often commented ironically to me, but he never grows up here, Tintin. Alas, yes, he has matured without anyone noticing it. He has remained young in size, but he has grown up, matured to the point of wanting to go inside himself and thus be able to contemplate the world. So it's like he's taking Tintin and dragging him into inside himself, yeah. into his own depression, you know. And so these, so it's interesting. I mean, this is all happening while he's doing this book, all, mm-hmm. all these events, you know. So he's still working on this. Mm-hmm. But he's just, all these things are happening. These well, also, breaks and stuff like not that. just not just this book, but just imagine, like the start of the story was basically the uh, the secret of the unicorn, right? Like the start of this whole tale yeah, was yeah. the secret of the unicorn, and just imagine what he's gone through in his life. Do you mean since the since he started working for Le Soir? Or no, I'm talking. Started? I'm talking since he started this actual arc. Like I consider this to be like one long story, right? Okay, the secret okay. of the unicorn leads into Red Rackham's oh, treasure, leads because, into crystal balls, okay. leads into this. Yeah. It's like a four-part story that's one long story. Yeah. Just think of like when he started, where he was at Secret of the Unicorn, and where he is now. Yeah. That's insane. And it's the same story that yeah. he's going along. That, uh, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So like I said, um, he, so I guess he was, he actually did get some help from Malkabika, but he also, um, 
he just couldn't finish Prisoner of the Sun. He just felt like I'm stuck. I have no idea what to do now. I'm just I'm I'm dry. So he got uh, he had hired some people to help him with the art. Guy, this guy named Guy de Guy de Sassi mm-hmm. and Franz Yagano. They came and helped him. And then uh, Malkabik, when he was released, came in, came in to help out with the stories and stuff like that. And then he also got a friend from who worked on Le Soir, the stolen Le Soir, this guy named Bernard Heuvelmans. He paid him to help him with the plot. He gave him like money per gag and to kind of finish off the story. So, and so Heuvelmans gave him like this kind of scenario for the end of the, the book, which Erge didn't think much of. So he just used a little bit of it, but he did pay him quite a bit of money for the, for the help. But uh, yeah, so... That's, uh, I just find it fascinating that all that was going on. And yet when you read the story, it reads without a blemish, without a, f- a feeling that any time that he was gone for six, six weeks, that he took off for three weeks, that he, you know, it just, it just run, it just t- goes so smoothly. Right. Yikes. Okay. Well, where we last, uh, left our, uh, heroes, uh, Haddock had fallen down the cliff and landed on his back. Uh, very worried Tintin, uh, wearing his friend's hat still. Looks good in that hat. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh no, he's fallen, but he's getting up. No, they've caught him. Uh, and, uh, Do you felt- know why he looks good in that hat? Because it basically just echoes his hair. Yeah, it reverses his hair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, a fella, you know, is, is running to see, oh, what's going on? And Tintin, uh, jumps on his back, grabs his gun, uh, which is pretty good because, uh, two people have, uh, guns trained on, uh, on Haddock. But Tintin's behind them, holding up the gun. Oh, that's going to be fine. Oh, no, wait. Someone's behind Tintin. Uh, but his friend uh, yells, uh, Senor, behind you. And Tintin, nice little action move here. Uh, butt of the rifle to the guy's chin. Yeah. Kapow. Yeah. Hooray, says the captain. And then gets spit on by a llama. He punches llama in the in Yeah, the, accidentally the, punches yeah. a llama in the face and gets spit on again. So good action. <laughs> I was actually laughing at that because I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good three panels there on the very top. Yeah. That's kind of near perfect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's just good stuff. So uh, so uh, then the friend, what's his name again? Zorino. Zorino uh, says, uh, come past me, Captain, while I cover you. All right, all, all you guys there, stay put. Uh, you know, the Tintin's saying that. Hey, so just stay where you are. All right, no one gets hurt. Uh, the first one who stops or comes back is a dead duck. Okay, that's a good, nice way of saying it, eh? Yeah. It's a you're gonna say like I'm gonna shoot you. Now you do this and you're a dead duck. Nice one. In, uh, so in, off uh, they uh, march. He says, uh, "Whoever returns, I will beat like a rabbit." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like in French. So uh, one guy's like, oh, "I'm not gonna hurry," and uh, gets a little a gunshot near the foot. So off he goes. There you are. Everything's going pretty good. Uh, well, hey, where's Snowy? Uh, while, while we're talking about all this. Oh, right. They left him up high. Yeah. I'm sure he's fine. It wasn't safe up there because, you know. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't safe to, for him to come down the hill. So they left him up there while he'd be perfectly safe. Right. <gasps> so, oh, wait. Uh, here comes a condor. I'd rather be a condor than a dog. <laughs> so then uh, the condor swoops down and grabs Snowy, carrying him off in his claws. Horrifying. It's and so he says, woo-ah. Yeah, whoa! And then uh, Tintin is thinking of firing, but he... He darn't. He darn't, yes, because uh, he would he might hit Snowy. Yeah, so uh, so there's the, uh, the, the condor takes uh, Snowy to his uh, or her nest uh, up top, and uh, that's the time where, uh, uh, where uh, Tintin gives him a shot, and uh, blam, hits him, hooray. Now Tintin's got to climb up the hill, very, or mountainside, uh, yeah. Very nice uh, drawings of him climbing up. Uh, looks very precarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The cabin's yelling at suicide, but he's going to do it. Uh, gets up there so worried about Snowy. Will Snowy be dead? Nope, he's in the nest uh, full of bones. 
Uh, it's really macabre. <laughs> and perfectly happy, too. Yeah, very, very happy. Couldn't be happier. It's a magnificent uh, banquet. So, uh, so uh, Tintin then, uh, you know, uh, ties a scarf around his uh, neck and, uh, and Snowy around his back. And down they start going. Everybody's I like that Snowy is so startled by the by the height that he drops his bone. Yes, and then he's, his head is spinning in the in the preceding or the the following panel. I yeah, guess. I guess uh, Snowy really didn't look down too much before. Uh, then another condor attacks, possibly the mate of the first one. Who knows? I don't know the backstory of this condor. It's good that Tintin had the foresight to wear that bandana so that he could tie uh, Snowy up in it. Well, the other thing is he looks darn good in it. <laughs> he knows he looks good a little. Of red, so uh, good for him. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the condor is grabbing uh, Tintin's face and eyes. So you have the picture horrifying. of Tintin in your wallet. Uh, there you go. Uh, just uh, horrifying. Uh, Catman's like uh, trying to shoot. No, 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 no. He can't because he's too close. Uh, you know, and uh, but then Tintin does an amazing move, grabs the condor's legs as he starts falling, and flies the condor down. Yeah, just I guess he descends slowly because the condor really can't carry them, but he. Yep. It's strong enough that it can come down slowly. And the condor takes off at the first opportunity uh, to mourn uh, the love of his life who was shot earlier that yes, day. Yes, that's right. And then, t- then Captain Haddock comes running down the hill. He trips. We don't see the result right away, but we then we see the captain later covered in bandages, which is really well done. Absolutely, because it's time for him to be comedy relief. Uh, but little- also, the comedy is not in the fall. It's in the aftermath. Yeah, we see him covered in the bandages. This is true. But also, Tintin has a couple of bandages on his face, too. Uh, we don't often see that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and one seems to be on his hair. Oh, well. Uh, so they're, uh, they're, they're walking. It's a little later. Is it far now, uh, Zerino? Uh, far. Yes, very far. Still a long journey to the Temple of the Sun. Many days. Must uh, climb the high mountains. Much snow. So days do go by, and we do see much snow. Uh, they're all wrapped up. Uh, narrow gully, senor. It's very dangerous. You not make noise. Otherwise, uh, avalanche come. And uh, unfortunately, at that point, uh, Captain Haddock sneezes. And uh, as predicted, the avalanche does come. And it's a beautifully done avalanche. Yeah. Yeah, this snow in the uh, in the mountains, it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, some really good coloring by uh, by Jacobs here. Yeah, the coloring is excellent. Uh, uh, Tintin's the first uh, person to make his way up after a bunch of swearing. Uh, it pulls pulls up Zerino. Uh, and Snowy. I don't think it's swearing. I think it's just showing state of mind. I don't think it's swearing. I think he's just is he's in a state of, ex- of of extreme fear, worry. You know, it's not it's not him swearing. He's not, All right, sounds not... fine. All right. Uh, then uh, Snowy digs up the captain who seems to be frozen stiff. He is blue in the face. This does not look good. Yeah. Uh, Tintin searches. But you know his... what? Tintin searches him, finds a flask. Yes. He's gonna rub a little alcohol on him. Yeah. No, sir. Uh, captain ain't having that. Grabs it, <laughs> drinks it, and he's uh, Popeye-like. As long as there's alcohol in the world, Captain Haddock will never die. <laughs> that is that is true. Uh, so now he's a little bit uh, drunk. We can tell that because he's doing the stuttering. Uh, and he's uh, going up the mountain. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, come back here, you raggle-taggle uh, ruminants. Uh, here, uh, you cushion-footed quadrupeds. Uh, they'll be run off as soon as I get near them, uh, but get near, but I'll fix them. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, Tintin's okay. Well, as if he hasn't done enough damage already, let's follow this idiot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, chasing, chasing, uh, chasing the llamas. Looks like up there. Okay. Yeah, and then 
so well. So, I just love the sequence so much because we have Haddock trying to run down the hill, but of course he, he loses his footing as it's so steep. He begins to tumble and turns into a snowball classic gag and then starts rolling down the hill. And then we've got the, uh, the Indians who are following them suddenly are firing at uh, this snowball Haddock who's rolling toward them. They try to run away. They get knocked over by Haddock. They all become snowballs as well. And this is like a terrifying sequence. So at the same yeah. time, Luckily for Haddock, he smashes against a rock, which I'm sure it hurt his back. But the other guys, much worse. They just roll right over the cliff. To their end. Into nothingness. That's it for them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's horrifying. Horrifying way to die. It's just this weird, quick sequence that, yep, there they go. One, two, three, four. Done. Done. (laughs) So uh, Tintin says the truth in this next panel, which is, uh, Zarina, the captain's guardian angel, has a full-time job. (laughs) Sure does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Turns out nothing is broken, uh, probably because he was drunk and went limp. And in the snowball. And in the snowball. Uh, and then it, the search is on for Snowy, who has found the captain's hat. Good for him. Snowy's great. Uh, more climbing. Uh, captain decides to do some this many hours later. Uh, they look down into the uh, thick jungle. Again, beautiful yeah. rocks, beautiful caves. It's yeah. gorgeous. Uh, captain's checking out things, seeing if it's safe. No, everything's fine. Everything's great. Uh, they're yelling uh, at the captain. He cannot hear what they're saying, uh, not hearing what's behind them. Uh, turns out it is a bear. I just love, I love the bear. Yeah. I love how the bear is drawn. I also love Tintin trying to yell a bear behind you. And then just a great cut to uh, Tintin reacting with absolute terror. So much terror that his, his exclamation marks are, are shaking. They are quivering. With fear. Oh, the captain, yeah. yeah. The captain's explanation yeah. marks. Yeah, actually, the bear looks like he's drawn like he's in a political cartoon for some reason. <laughs> like it's about, you know, the economy. I think uh, Erge based him on a drawing that he saw that he liked a lot. So he based based the bear on that. Yeah, it's good. It's a good bear. Yeah. Uh, let's go next morning and a complete change of scenery. We're now walking through the jungle, a gorgeous jungle. Well, they made a lot of, they made a lot of headway because they're all running away from the bear. <laughs> That's true. The bear does motivate you. Uh, captain is being eaten alive by mosquitoes. And uh, laughter comes from above. Captain doesn't like being laughed at from he above. Like being laughed at, and he doesn't like being laughed at and in the jungle. A third time with monkeys. Yep, doing their thing, laughing and carrying on. Captain. And the captain, just, he just you know can't help himself. He has to carry on and yell and make a lot of noise. And walks into uh, you know I guess a, a bit of a bog or something. He says a puddle. Looked like quicksand you know at first, but nope, everything's fine. Ah, that's a relief, says Tintin. Comedy relief, which means something dramatic will happen now. Uh, help, help, uh, uh, says Zarina. Zarino. Uh, we go and we see a horrific snake, beautifully drawn, but horrific snake that is... Yes. Uh, crushed... I guess it's an anaconda? Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, that's uh, uh, about to eat him, but uh, Tintin shoots it. Everything's fine. Uh, but then... But then uh, a tapir uh, knocks over the <laughs> the captain... In a nice little uh, comedy sequence there. Uh, I like that the captain's uh, question mark is upside down while he's upside down. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> uh, once again, cut out of the book version, but in the magazine, Haddock is attacked by a jaguar. <laughs> oh, my God. And then a poisonous snake. So What, another snakes. one? Yeah, okay. Two no, snakes. boo. Uh, yeah. Too many snakes. Uh, and, of course, Tintin rescues him from those uh, attacks. And then we carry on uh, with the story of them, with them walking through the woods. And Tintin's, or sorry, Haddock slapping away at mosquitoes on his face. And then, of course, they, they rest for the night because they're going so far. Yeah. I wonder if because he's such a drunkard, he has a very tasty um, skin or blood. Maybe. He's maybe also attractive attractive, uh, attractive to ants who are crawling all over him. That's right. We're doing a second bug gag. Which uh, some uh, friendly anteaters decide to help out by getting them off his face. And now 
the classic Hergé uh, thought balloon, which shows what the person's thinking in a picture rather than just words, has uh, Haddock's face being licked by Snowy. Which is better than the other gag, which been him kissing a pretty lady. <laughs> yeah. And then he, he wakes up and it's a, it's a, and he's such a cute anteater. Though. It is. He's so cute. And then, see. I like that he's basically pushing him away, but gently with it. And the anteater's, huh? What's going on? And I don't think, uh, I don't think that uh, it's swearing here. You see, it's just, he's just reacting. Because if the captain's swearing, he's saying 10,000 thundering okay. typhoons and stuff like that. No, this is a state of mind when, when you have t- that balloon with a lot of stuff, you know, s- stuff in it. Okay. Well, you, you tell us, audience, if you think that uh, that's the case. You know, if it's swearing or if it's not swearing. Everyone can agree with me, then it's easier. Yeah, sure, or that thing. So, uh, so uh, yeah, simpler that way. The captain is uh, shouting at uh, this uh, anteater as he goes, and uh, and uh, Zarina mentions, "Yeah, you're covered with ants. You look like breakfast." And the days go by, <laughs> and we run into alligators. Uh, Tintin's going to cross a uh, river. Uh, the captain says, "No, no, no. Those logs." They're uh, alligators. Well, the captain seems like a smart fella. Sits yeah. down on a log to relax. <laughs> Turns out to be an alligator, also yeah. a very well-drawn alligator, uh, that then gets shot yes. uh, by, uh, by, by Tintin. Yeah. But, I mean, you can understand. It's not like in Tintin in the Congo where he's just randomly going around and, and slaughtering animals. He's protecting... Uh, He's protecting uh, Captain Haddock because then we have the next sequence where they go out into a boat, very much like the bro- boat from the Broken Ear. Yeah. Uh, a small dugout canoe. And they oh. go into the water and then the oh. crocodiles. Oh, my gosh. The crocodile attack is ridiculous. It's a fantastic sequence. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so it's so exciting. They're they're firing on these these crocodiles. It's just swarming them. Yeah. It's a great. Yeah. This is a great page. This is just such an action packed page. Yeah. It would be great enough in the film they're going to do of this it would be great too. yeah they i mean they must do it but you know here's the thing you think like this would make a good film sequence but it's amazing with static images how much energy and excitement and movement you yeah. get in this like they really this is just good comics right well, here on this page and almost all <laughs> silent all the action yeah, stuff yeah um well that was something that i was going to talk about the difference between um jacobs and erge in, in terms of their you know even though they worked together very well they really were two different sort of people um like jacobs was was very um uh he his storytelling technique was very was you could it's often called convergent like it's every for him everything had to kind of come together in the story whereas for erja he likes to split things apart he likes characters yeah. roaming away from each other and having separate things happening to them um you know and then he also his for him in art you know he loved clarity he loved he wanted and he wanted to get rid of as many words as he could. I mean, there's times in the stories where they're very wordy, where he feels yeah. like we need to take a break, explain what's going on so everyone can understand. Yeah. But mostly, there's a lot of wordless stuff that happens in his stories. The snowball sequence, the train sequence, you know, it's all done. No one's, no one is narrating what they're doing. And it's pretty breathtaking sequences. Yeah. It's really, whoa. Because you're going through it quickly because yeah, you're not yeah. having to stop and read. Right. You know, whereas if you read, uh, Jacobs, he's, he's very wordy. Like his stories are probably more wordy than EC comics from the fifties. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he has very hugely detailed, uh, word balloons about, uh, sort of narrating what you're seeing in, in the panel. And then very word, very wordy balloons from the characters as well. Like, you know, for him, you know, the words were very important and he, he wanted as much words as images on the page, you know, even though the words are repeating what the images show you already. You know, so it's an interesting difference between them. You know, yeah, there's a real confidence on on this page. It's page thirty nine. It's real confidence and, there. And one thing, one one way it works so well is from the 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 way the characters are are posed. You know, they're they're accurate, but also 
they're accurate but also exciting poses. You know, sometimes yeah. you can get accurate poses that are kind of flat and don't have a lot of don't have a lot of dynamism. To, you know, they're not that yeah. dynamic. But these are very very. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of energy. Yeah, to these there's poses. yeah, there's danger, but there's also real competence. Like they, yeah. they like these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, they're that's in too. It. That's well, that's also thrilling when people yeah. know what they're doing and they're reacting. And you're not just the boob, the boob who's falling down the hill all yeah, the time. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to the following morning. Uh, they're going to take a. Uh, we're going to camp there, and up there in the mountains, we're at the Temple of the Sun. Uh, the next morning, uh, they have to cross a, a river, and to do so, a waterfall actually, uh, and to do so, they need to do a rope. We have an exciting sequence where Zarino goes across first. Seems fine. Uh, the captain goes. Oh, almost drops his hat. Almost falls off because he's grabbing his hat. Uh, and then crosses. Good. Okay. Now it's uh, Tintin. And if we've ever seen an action movie. Third guy across, never good for him. <laughs> well, but they also show like the captain's maneuvers. There's the rope is rubbing against a rock because yes. the way he's got it tied to the tree, fraying, uh, fraying. I uh, assume it's a really good knot because he's a sailor, so he knows his knots. So that's not a problem. Excuse me, just one second. <coughs> Sorry, buddy. And I'm sure there's a joke there about but now it being afraid knot. Yeah, uh, there, there we, there go, we go. go. So on, so I'm forth. sure there was a joke there. I wish we found it. Um, <laughs> and then Tintin falls. Uh, yes. Oh my gosh, what's happening? But he falls and he doesn't hit. Uh, I wouldn't say the ground, but he doesn't hit the bottom of the waterfall. Yeah. He falls into the waterfall. Yeah, and disappears. Now, on the next on the next page, it's interesting because there's a voice coming from the waterfall, and they use what in North American comics would be a thought balloon device, yeah, yeah. which is a series of uh, bubbles kind of coming out, and then a bit of a cloud, which that would be a thinking thing. But here, uh, they're using it to convey kind of coming through yeah. uh, water. Yeah. So uh, they follow the voice uh, downwards after after thinking that Tintin is dead, uh, and uh, a rock comes through the waterfall. Uh, it's like what? Okay, now throw a rope through. All right, what's going on? The rope goes through, becomes solid. They work their way across through the rope. It looks like Tintin's inside. He is inside, and they've discovered something amazing inside there. Yeah, a tunnel. And uh, our first—we didn't really talk about the cover of this, but um, the cover has. For our first time, we've seen the wonderful indoor rocks of uh, Hergé. Mm. I love those rocks with their sh- the shading and stuff like that. But it's the second time we've had a cover with mummies on it. It's the second time with a cover of mu- mummies, yeah. And we'll see we'll see these rocks again in uh, the uh, uh, Flight 714 and also on the moon as well. Great. Uh, there's those kind of rocks. But they I are just, very nice rocks. I just love them so much. Uh, they're also on the cover of uh, The Valley of the Cobras, which is a Josette and Jocko story also has them standing in a cave looking out into the into the himalayas or into some sort of i assume they're the himalayas whatever uh they're in india so they're looking uh, i'm gonna be embarrassed to find out the himalayas are actually in africa but anyway they're dave i think you mean the rocky mountains i believe i mean the yeah i think that's true mount mount uh, kilimanjaro right isn't that in uh, japan though right Hmm? yeah so then uh they yeah just love the rock so they find themselves in this tunnel and uh obviously it's a man-made tunnel. There's a, a metal ring embedded in the wall. Right. And there's stones, you know, that have been placed there. Calculus, here we come, says Tintin. <laughs> uh, a little confused as to where they're leading leading them. They And then Tintin sees a head. Head of a man. Yeah. Oh, and uh, does some friendly chit-chat with a oh, nice day, isn't it? Uh, we speak English? No? Uh, Apple Espanol? No? Well, uh, parlez-vous français? Uh, oh, crap. It's just, a, it's just a... It's not a real person at all. First, he asks... Actually, he first asks if he can speak French. 
Then he asks if uh, he speaks uh, English. Well, then you've got a different uh, language that you're reading your book in than uh, I do, yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. Then he asks if he can speak Spanish. Then he asks if he can speak English. Very good. That's the proper order. And then what a fool I've been. Of course you don't speak because you're not a person. Uh, look what's tumbled down, the contents of a tomb. In, into the tomb they go. Uh, Tintin sees the, the two mummies from the cover. Yeah, we find the cover image. And uh, Tintin's like, I wonder if it would be possible to push this slab over. I can't do it alone. Time to call the others. And uh, and Snowy mentions this, uh, sees a skull and goes, oh, this this chap looks like he's doing poorly. Nice little joke there from Snowy. Yes. So he calls to his friends. They uh, they come up. Uh, yeah. In the in the now in the magazine version, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, in the captain finds a bunch of gold laying around. Oh, okay. And he's so excited he starts stuffing his pockets with all these big chunks of gold. Right. And then. When we turn the page, we, well, we see Zerino go through first. And then he, he has to climb through this hole. He can't fit through with all this stuff in his pocket. So oh. he has to he has to leave all the gold behind. What a fairy tale type situation. Yeah. Now, the captain's rich, what right? What he puts him in his hat? Is the captain rich? He is rich. But, you know, if you've lived poor most of your life, you're I'm pretty just, excited to find gold. You live in a mansion. You know, yeah. leave the gold for someone you're else. You're still, still excited. All right. So anyway, uh, they hear a, a toot. And what was it? Well, it was a Snowy blowing uh, a whistle made out of a bone. Yeah. Tintin's, good golly, whatever next, a musical bone. <laughs> now, everything's very claustrophobic so far. Yeah, like, we're very yeah. tight. So it's really neat when they all push, they finally do push this panel, it breaks through, and it's a great uh, transition from page 46 to 47, uh, where they, they, they're they in a giant Incan room, yeah. palace room, it looks like, uh, well, a palace room, but uh, and all the, just full of Incans, full yeah. of old-timey Incans. Uh, who are startled. Incas. Uh, Incas, sorry about that. Yeah. It's, that's, Incas isn't correct? No. Okay, fair the, enough. The Incas. All right. Yeah. It was my dog's name, coincidentally. Anyway, I'm just going to throw that out there. Inca uh, or Incan? Inca. Okay. All right. If there was more of them, I would have called them Incans, but that would just be me. So, uh, wrong I am. Uh, they, they, uh. I think Incan is like a adjective. To describe something like it's an Incan pot. This sounds like a good I don't time. Know that either. This sounds like a good time for uh, some of you to uh, let us know on our uh, sneakydragon.com page uh, or our Facebook page. Either is good. Uh, so they fall through. Amazing uh, the image. It's great. Uh, beautiful. Uh, angry uh, Incas uh, yelling, "Sacrilege! Seize them! Grab them! Uh, stand back!" <laughs> Anachronisms. That's a really good line from the Haddock. Uh, keep off you imitation Incas you yeah. uh, but they are grabbed and thrown into uh, prison yes although prison but pretty posh prison really oh it's well, but it's going to get more posh very soon oh that's right no sorry this is uh, they're in the, uh, the they're like, in your standard in your standard prison. Cell, yeah. that's cell. right but the wall is much better drawn than it was before it's really nicely done Tintin remembers that he's got that uh, coin uh, gives it to Zerino uh, yeah. saying look here's something for you take good care of it it might be useful uh, and uh, all of them are then uh, taken to the Inca. Uh, Great snakes, the Inca says. Uh, says uh, uh, says Tintin. I don't know why he's surprised by that when they said that's where they were taking him, uh, but he is surprised. You know, look at that Indian on the left. It's Chiquito, uh, General Alcazar's music hall partner from the last book. Uh, mm. The man I saw. Full name Chiquito Banano. Sure, we could go with that if you want to. It's your call. I don't endorse it. Uh, and, uh, the, uh, it's, it's, this is basically your standard, uh, thing from kind of a serial around this time. Yeah. You have, you, you disgraced things. You have, uh, defiled. Yeah. Uh, you will suffer. You will pay. You will die. Uh, sure. you're, uh, fr- they, they talk about calculus. 
Uh, so your friend dared to wear the sacred bracelet of Raskar Kapak. Your friend will likewise be put to death. Oh, the heck with you. Uh, let's just quickly, let's just quickly mention, uh, how nice that, uh, the coloring is in those feathers behind him. Yep, this is very true. Very nice. Nice and radiated watercolors. The Inca mentions that it is not uh, we who will put you to death. It is the sun himself, for his rays will set alight the pyre uh, on which you are destined. And as for this young Indian who uh, guided these strangers and thus betrayed his race, he will also uh, be sacrificed immediately on the altar of the sun god. And Tintin goes, look, show him your coin. Show the coin. Uh, Zarina shows the coin. What? How'd you get that? Where'd you steal that from? No, I did not steal it. Uh, Tintin gave me the medal. It's like, oh, you foreign dog, where'd you get it? And uh, then, noble Stolen. prince of... Uh, voice from the side says, noble prince of the sun, I beg leave to speak. Uh, it is I, a noble prince of the sun, who gave this sacred token to this young stranger. You, Huascar, a uh, high priest? What, what, what's all this business about? He says, and not that way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, what, it, what, what? Yeah, and... Uh, I, I say... Uh, uh, well, well, it's all the big deal, boys. I would say. <laughs> anyway. Ooh! <laughs> so, uh... How kingly he is. That's right. Uh, he's, he's, <laughs> he mentions the story of Tintin uh, saving uh, the boy yeah. uh, who was being ill-treated by two of these vile foreigners who we hate. For that reason, knowing that uh, he would face great dangers, I gave him the token. Did I do wrong? No, 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 you did act nobly. But here's the deal. Uh, it's technicality season here, uh, because that <laughs> Legally guy, speaking. that's right. That guy's holding the coin. So he gets a free pass. Yeah. Uh, you other two jerks, here's what's going down. You got to get killed in the next 30 days, but, and it's a weird thing. I'm giving you this thing, but I'm gonna, uh, you get to pick the day and the time. That's yeah. how we roll. That's right. Pretty fair. We're going to burn you alive, but you, you choose, you know, you pick, you pick when you die. Yeah, You pick when you die. That's you know, fair. that's, it's fair. That's, fr- that's right. Fair right? dinkum. Sure. Says the guy who's not Australian. So anyway, take him away. Uh, keep him in close confinements until tomorrow. Uh, the Prince of the Sun has spoken. So uh, there is Tintin and the captain pacing uh, with Snowy in the cell. Snowy's not pacing. He's fairly calm uh, in their cell uh, with all this kind of thing. Uh, so they're trying to figure out how to get out of here. Oh, we're all, we're all messed up. Uh, the, uh, the captain wants to smoke a, his pipe. He can't, but, uh, Tintin goes, oh, let me show you what you can do. Takes a little bit of glass and, uh, sets, uh, the pipe ablaze, a little, uh, tobacco ablaze. Goes, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, coincidentally, funny story. This is how we're going to die. Oh, boy. <laughs> so upset he drops his pipe, breaking it. Uh, nuts. And Snowy won't stop playing with his paper. Will not stop playing with a piece yeah, of paper. He's tearing it. To, he's tearing it to shreds. Okay, I'm throwing it back at you. He's a early recycler. So then we we cut to uh, Thompson and Thompson, who are telling their their I guess their superior that they've had as yet they've had no luck finding. They've searched all over South America and have not had any result to find Professor or Professor Calculus. Mm-hmm. But they have an idea. They have a technique, a secret. They're not going to tell them. Mm-hmm. They have a secret technique, and they, so they go, Chief, we can't tell you. This idea, it's foolproof, it's going to be perfect. We leave, we leave see what we're going That's to do. That's right. To preserve absolute secrecy, sir, yeah. dumbs the word. That's our <laughs> motto. <laughs> then we, we cut to them, uh, one reading from the handbook, I guess, the handbook of divining, the other with his, his, uh, d- with, well, what is basically calculus is not his, but his technique of using his pendulum to just, to find things. The, uh, Thompsons have brilliantly and actually, if they could figure out exactly what they're being told, they would have some luck. At, That's true. It, but, that is true. But uh, yeah, so then we cut back, which is nice. I like that they say, they kept this in the book, you know, even though they had to cut things out. I'm glad that they kept this because it works well to have 
this kind of cut back and forth between what's happening with Tintin and uh, Captain Haddock and what the Thompsons are doing. It's 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 good. I agree. So uh, so Snowy's still tearing at this newspaper, and you know what? Here's the thing: never ignore what Snowy's got. Because he's going to lead you somewhere. This is the deal. Uh, finally, Tintin takes it, uh, reads it, and we get uh, his, him yelling Eureka and doing his happy uh, jumping up and uh, clicking his heels together, which uh, makes the prof- not professor makes the captain drop his pipe again, <laughs> breaking poor, it. Poor Captain. He's like, it. oh, we're saved. No, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you how we're saved. But trust me, we're saved. What? Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, but we're going to be saved. Everything's fine. Meanwhile. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Thompson and Thompson, uh, are still on the search and, uh, they're on the top of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. What a couple of dopes. Well, because, but Tintin is very high, he's very high in high spirits. So they, the pendulum and is telling them. And he is French. The pendulum he does speak is telling, French. The pendulum is telling them that he's in a high place. Sure. So they've gone to the highest place in Europe. It, it all, at that time. it all kind of makes sense, but yeah. what a couple of dopes. All there right. There's no place taller than the Eiffel Tower at this, at this time period. That's fine. Yeah. Good for him. He's not there though. So, uh, I hope they didn't have to pay a lot to get up there. It wasn't as much of a tourist trap back then. So, uh, so, uh, Tintin explains to, uh, the, uh, the Inca. Uh, Why would you call it a tourist trap? What's that? Why well, you call it a tourist trap? That implies that it's. Oh, I don't want to get an argument about it. I'll argue with you, but after the okay. show's over. All right, tourist trap. No, the no, it's not touristy at all. The the Eiffel no, no. Tower. I in, recognize uh, Paris. that it's popular as tourists, but yes. it's not really a trap. It's not like you've been trapped into like a substandard, you know, museum of oddities or something like that. It's a big, beautiful oh, it is tower beautiful. that you climb. A lot of tourist see. traps are gorgeous. You can see all. No, they're not traps. Then they're gorgeous. Then that's not a trap. Okay. Why would a trap be? A, a trap implies something bad. Did you walk good. up the stairs or did you take the elevator I with walked, everyone? I walked up the stairs. Well, then, then I guess you weren't in that tourist trap. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> get in that elevator with everybody. See, see how that feels. So uh, <laughs> fun. The, just, the next morning it. we can talk. That'll be our uh, our Paris podcast. Yeah. Uh, those of you listening, uh, the Eiffel Tower tourist trap? No. Yeah. Okay. No, you can tell not. us. Yes. The Louvre tourist trap. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, talking to the, uh, the uh, Prince of the Sun, uh, saying, listen, I want to die, uh, in eight, uh, 18 days time at 11 o'clock. It's my friend's birthday. And, oh, it's not my birthday, says the captain. You're crazy. Yeah, like you want to die on your birthday. That's a weird thing. You think you're like, you'd like to die day after? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, no, captain, captain, remember, you promised to trust me. So be it. In 18 days, you will well, die. Because they're going to light the candles for captain so they can sing happy birthday. <laughs> That's true. As they are he is his own candle. That's right. Now, if you can blow yourself out, you get the wish of not being killed. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so they get put in uh, kind of the swanky part. Uh, the Inca. Uh, now, yes, now that they're acknowledged sacrificial victims to the sun god. Yeah, pretty sweet. They are important people. Right. So we get a bunch of business with the the captain uh, upset that he's going to be killed. Time is going by. Days are going by. Meanwhile, Tintin is relaxed as all get out. And uh, he's doing uh, he's doing exercises saying you yeah. should keep fit. We have a little thing where the captain tries to jump a- over a table uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and 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 lands on his butt. Oh, that uh, looks then, painful. He, then he gets some fruit lands on his head. Yeah. Yeah. Looks bad. It does. And then uh, the captain, so the Christian says uh, more days pass. Or four more days pass, mm-hmm. and then uh, I don't know what it says actually. I'm just trying to read the uh, sorry. Anyway, so then uh, and then the captain is so mad, and Tintin's just leaning out the window, looking out there. The captain then a few more days pass, and then the captain is like ex- he's trying to to talk to Tintin. He can't understand why are you so relaxed? Tintin's laying on the bed. Snowy's beside him sleeping because Snowy's a dog. He doesn't know what's right. going on. And then the 
Haddock is just lost to despair. He's just like buries his, his head in his hands. He is so sad. And then we see uh, Thompson and Thompson. They're walking in a coal mine because uh, Tintin is in a very low place that we, yeah. that we hear. Right. The next day, it's you know Tintin is looking at this newspaper article saying to himself, I hope it's correct. I hope it's <laughs> yeah, correct. if it's not, Cause this is he has be... bet everything on this yeah. one horse. This, this is, is a... uh, rough. And if uh, you guys, again, if you guys have read anything... Any stories, uh, you know, you probably know what's coming up, right? Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, yeah. so this, that, and the other. And then uh, after day upon day of pulling at the bars, finally they come free. And this is that moment the uh, Incas walk in and uh, are ready to take them to their death. Okay. Off they go. They're tied They're up. They're dead. They're done. That's They're it done. for them. That's right. The Tintin saga ends here. Yeah, it's a shame. Well, I guess, you know, as you were saying, Hergé doesn't want to do it anymore. So, yeah, this all makes sense. It would actually be really scary if you knew as a reader yeah. what was going on in Hergé's life. Like, the guy keeps going missing. He's not interested in doing this anymore. Yeah. Then you go, yeah, maybe this is the end of Tintin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Captain tries to fight for his life. Uh, no dice. Uh, goes running. Trips, unfortunately. Uh, does not get saved. Uh, angry, uh, hurt captain is tied to a stake. Uh, I like that, uh, <laughs> I like that Snowy is just, uh, they're not tied up and it's just angry. A lot of the, yeah, a lot of the images here are, are drawn from the National Geographic art- article, like the drawings from there. There's the colors and, and, and a lot of the backgrounds right. and stuff like that are very reminiscent. Also, the carrying the large, uh, pretend snake that's, uh, was from the article as well. Okay. So, uh, yeah, a big parade comes out with drums. They're playing their bone flutes. Uh, that sounds wrong. Uh, women come out. They're singing a beautiful song. Uh, it's all lovely. And then here comes uh, Calculus, who's tied up as well in ceremonial robes and a yeah. fancy hat. Everyone's in nice fancy hats. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you got to be burned to death, this seems to be the way to do it. Go big. Meanwhile, uh, the, uh, the, we see Thompson and Thompson in uh, Egypt. Uh, near the Sphinx, saying, according to this pendulum, they uh, they should be in a very hot spot. Yes. There you go. They're correct. I don't know how the pendulum is telling them this, but uh, fair enough. Uh, so the sacrifice is, is going, uh, and uh, and here we go. It's uh, it's about to begin, and then looking up, uh, an eclipse happens. Oh, sorry. After, let me just say, uh, before before that, Tintin yells, "I thank thee, Supreme Majesty." Uh, no, he says, "Oh, God of the Sun, Sublime, uh, Paka Kamak, uh, display thy power. I implore thee. If this sacrifice is not thy will, hide thy shining face from us." At which point, uh, the uh, the king goes, "Yeah, I saw that movie too." No, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, so uh, then the eclipse happens. Everyone freaks out. Uh, Tintin promises to bring the sun back, uh, you know, if, uh, they let him go. The, uh, king is like, oh, please, please, we'll give you anything. And, uh, yes, indeed, uh, Tintin brings the sun back. Everyone's, oh, oh what a relief. Oh, my gosh. That's Interestingly, fantastic. the, uh, the eclipse happens in the wrong direction. Oh. It, 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 since it's in the uh, southern hemisphere, it should actually happen from the other side. Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and well done. It was correct in the magazine version, but when it was being reformatted, it got mixed up and they put it, they got it wrong. In nice there. detail. And, uh, Ergie actually didn't like, didn't like this ending because, uh, even when he was doing it, he was kind of of two minds about it. He liked it as a, as a device. He thought it was exciting. Yeah. But, you know, to him, the Incas were like great astronomers. They would know about eclipses. Yeah. yeah. So he felt in that way it failed as an ending. He, he never liked it. He always wished that he had done something different with it. But yeah. uh, I guess, you know, when you're working by week by week, you have to settle on something. Otherwise, 
People get mad at you. So, uh, very happy captain dancing at his freedom and then falls into some of the uh, wood. <laughs> uh, uh, the makes of the platform, yes. That's right. Meanwhile, we see uh, Thompson and Thompson. These are pretty good gags. Uh, Thompson and Thompson uh, in a bumper car. Uh, <laughs> they're going to get hurt it's standing in there, yeah. saying the pendulum shows uh, they're getting bumped about. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so getting the, I keep my word, says the king. Uh, you are free. My men will escort you to the foot of the mountain. But Tintin says, we've got plot points to wrap up. Let's yes. wrap them up. Let's wrap them up. Uh, there are seven learned men who have been put to sleep and are suffering. Uh, please, you know, I beg you, stop this. Nope, nope. They are like hyenas. They plundered our tombs. They get what they deserve. No, 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 no. This is Tintin. They didn't come to plum- plunder. Uh, their purpose was to, to make known to the world your ancient customs and the splendors of your civilization. Ah, right. <laughs> I guess you speak the truth. Ah, shall be done. All right. So they get, uh, they get the cure. Well, basically they've got what you would look at almost like voodoo dolls. Yeah. So these people have been being tortured by mystical means. Yes. Let's not be, let's, let's make this very clear. Magic exists in this world. Yes, that's true. It's real. Uh, yep. You kind of got that from the faker a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It's real. Yep. There's no other explanation. That yeah. It's nothing, uh, you know, psychological. It's real. Magic's real. Yeah. Okay. Which kind of bugs me. I don't like stories that do that, but that's just my personal taste. Uh, I don't feel like it's such a major part of the story that it really interferes with it that much. It was a major part of the last book completely. We're like, what's happening to all these people? Yeah. What's the explanation? You expect it's something even like... Even that, it's not... Uh, I mean, I guess it's... A, it is. It's, that's more of the drive that the motor of the engine of the so story the, mu- not... the mummy that got brought to life that was throwing the stuff down is it is it brought to life we I never actually see it but here's the problem they just it... dream it no but it was in the case yeah and then ball lightning came in and yeah. then broke it open yeah and then and it was gone yeah so so either the ball lightning destroyed it or it did free something it, from the case or the in the confusion it allowed that person who was there to grab the mummy and and dis- and take off with it okay but once you've once you've put that we're in a world of magic who cares that's because true. like you know what's what's but i'm just saying there's it's there's more than one explanation it's yeah, not but it's not all just you magic. don't have to solve anything this is the problem is like when you have a mystery yeah. and at the end you go by the way magic exists yeah. you go like oh okay well then nothing needs to be solved because everything can be explained well, by as they say wizard did it I, well, you know i would complain i mean if you're going to complain about the ending i think a bigger complaint is the fact that the whole Rescar Kapak element is not explained. We don't explain like why they they had three three of them had a simultaneous dream of him coming into the room. We don't and we never see him it's again. Magic. It's magic, but it's not even said that. They don't even say that about. It. They don't say they don't explain what how he was there, how he figured into the story or anything, yeah. anything like that. There's no follow up to that. And the so. other problem is because they all had sort of prophetic weird dreams. Yeah. Then earlier in this issue, Tintin has a weird dream with all the symbolism. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, this will then somehow be how he solves the problem. No, it's just a dream. Yeah. It's like, okay. So there's two things. One, dreams are kind of a get out of jail free card story wise. And magic is the biggest get out of jail free card. Yeah. So they pull that here and, you know, again, I'm not the biggest fan of that, but moving on. Uh, they, uh, so they break the spell on these fellows who it turns out have been being tortured every night. That's horrific. Like mm-hmm. that these guys have been being stabbed with pins and, you know, they've been going through this including. Well, at the same time every day. So it, where it was 1130 or 1230 yeah. in the afternoon. They all writhe in agony as they're being tortured. Yeah. Horrible. 
Also, it means that this is a real group effort uh, on the torture every day, since they're all being tortured simultaneously. This is a group of torturers all working together. Anyway, yeah. it, it looks kind of bad because they're they to to solve this problem, they take the voodoo dolls, which aren't voodoo, obviously, uh, with pins in them and toss them into a fire. Yeah. Which looks like that doesn't look like a good idea at all, but it does break the spell. And what's interesting in this section then is that uh, someone says to Falconer, they say. Uh, Carling, they say, "What's what are you? What are you doing here, Carling?" Which is must be a holdover because in the French version he's called Charlet. Mm. So in their early translations, they must have had him as Carling, and then at some point he decided to change his name to Falconer. Right. But forgot to change it somewhere in the script. So when it was being lettered, the the letter wrote in Carling there rather than ah. Falconer. Well, and it looks like they don't remember their torture, so that's at least a bit of a relief yeah. for them. Yeah. So uh, Tintin saying goodbye to his friend uh, Zarino. Uh, promises that they won't say a word about this place. Uh, this, again, bugs me a little bit. Like, this is a temple, right? Where yeah. they're executing people and they've been torturing people and been doing all this. And at the end of it, it's just like, don't worry, we won't tell anyone where, where you are. You're good guys. We're gonna, we're all cool now, right? No, these guys are horrible. They're horrible. They're horrible torturers. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we'll, we'll burn you alive and have a big ceremony. Yeah, but if to you do just it. leave them alone. They right. will not do anything to you. This is, to me, a Return of the Jedi. If you don't go in yeah. and steal a bunch of their stuff and take it away from them, right. they'll just leave you but alone. If they touch it, but if they mistakenly you go in and you don't take their stuff like you know for bad reasons, they'll still... They've killed a lot of people. That, that wasn't their first burning. This is normal. They know they know enough that they've got a parade ready for this. Yeah. You know, and they've got a song written just for this. So yeah. this is standard procedure. <laughs> to me, this is like Return yeah. of the Jedi... Where at the end, everyone's dancing with the Ewoks and we're having a good time. It's like, did you remember that the Ewoks earlier were trying to eat you? Yeah. They were going to eat you. And this wasn't the first time the Ewoks have done this. Yeah. You know, their culture is, uh, oh, you're a visitor, eh? Kill, torture, eat. No, they're not friendly. Hopefully, not be- I think it should be torture, kill, eat. I think the Ewoks were very inefficient in their torture. Then. Yeah. Um, Anywho. Well, you know, Incan culture was, uh, it was pretty bloodthirsty. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, but you guys are all good guys. You're cool. All right, we'll catch you later. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you say that to people, there are 200 people who want to kill you. Yeah. That's what you say. So, uh, the they way. go to their llamas and in the saddlebags, there's, uh, you know, gold, diamonds, precious stones, you know, and Tintin's note, we can't accept such magnificent gifts. It's the money. Cap- you can't take captain's, money. Uh, you know how he feels about money. Hates it. Uh, captains, unless you absolutely insist, oh, they're nothing compared to the riches of our temple. Let me just show you this. They go down, open up the temple. We see that the, uh, Thompson, Thompson and Thompson are now, it looks like, in Antarctica because there's penguins. Yeah. I don't know what the gag is there. There doesn't seem to be the same payoff. Maybe they're mistaking gold for cold. Yeah, it seems like cold That doesn't make cash. any sense in French, though, because it's two different words. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's like they, they've set up the gag over and over again, and they don't pay it off the last time they do it. It must be, in in French, the, it, there must be an idiom where it's like cool million or whatever, like money yeah, is cool. Yeah, cool cash, cold yeah. hard cash, yeah. something. Uh, if you speak French, let, let us, us know. Let us know. I mean, I'm looking at it here, but there's no, uh, they don't say anything that makes you think, uh, you know, that about cold money or whatever. So, yeah. so anyway, uh, back to Tintin and the captain. We see like a whole bunch of treasure. Uh, that's nice. Uh, this was, of course, the treasure the Spanish uh, conquerors searched in vain for so long. Anyway, don't tell anyone about this. We trust you. Uh, it's all in the honor system here. Okay, what, see ya. What they're excited for with all these terracotta pots is that, you know, the captain's looking for planters for Marlin Spike. Sure he is. These would be perfect. That's what he's excited also, about. Also, by the way, he can go, my basement's full of treasure, too, so no big whoop. <laughs> uh, then Calculus goes, it seems unlikely, but there's gold around here somewhere. My pendulum never lies. <laughs> all right. Well, now he's just dumb. He's not just deaf. He's looking right at gold. 
and uh, and says that there's gold statues in front of him. He's short. He's some. There's something wrong with this fella. <laughs> Several days later, uh, thank you to Tintin, and uh, he's, he's an got, o- he's a classic overfocuser. Sure is. He's paying so much attention to his pendulum that he's not actually seeing the real world around him. But let's get to the best classic pun- gag. Let's get to space some classic gags. Let's get to the best punchline so far in the series. Okay. Which is, uh, you know, uh, they're loading up the llamas. Here we go. Hang on to my gun for a second, will you, Tintin? Says the captain. Oh, okay. What's up? And he sees the captain drinking water. Water? That doesn't seem in character. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, then the captain walks up to a llama and spits in his face. Yeah. Yeah. And you know? Not I, only that, but spits like a fire hose into his face. Absolutely. I have nothing against you personally, but that pays a very old debt. The <laughs> llama goes, whoa, snowy smiles. Everyone else is shocked. And the end. <laughs> So yes, uh, very well done. Yeah, this was this was pretty great. Uh, Action packed, moved along, wrapped up the story we've been dealing with for uh, four of uh, uh, the collections. Yeah, um, looks like a lot of emotional things have been happening to Hergé during these four issues. Mm-hmm. Nice sense of relief, good ending, happy. Yeah, I imagine he was very very thrilled to be finished it at the time. Yeah, um, and you know his working methods at this point were at, were such that. You know, he wasn't going to start right away on the next story. That would normally, you know, he would wait for inspiration to strike or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, he's, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I just feel like I, he's, next few years are going to be hard for Erge. Oh, nuts. Look, I, this is the thing that's a drag for me because I don't know any of this story. So yeah. when World War II started, I was like, oh, I hope, I'm looking forward to it being over so we can relax. And you're like, yeah, things get worse for him then. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, well, wait, we're uh, now, you know, he was uh, accused of this and this. Uh, okay, but things, now Tintin Magazine started, things are going to be fine. Nobody, things get terrible. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, son of a, every, every, at the end of every one of these, uh, just the bluebird of sadness yeah. shows up and just goes, tweet, tweet, bad times are coming. Don't you know there are no happy endings, only happy stopping places? Yeah, and we're stopping at this one, which was happy. Yes. <laughs> Listen, there's a person's life, and then there's a person's art, and as far as the art's concerned, this uh, collection to me was uh, pretty great. Uh, yes. Yeah, the most action-packed, fantastic scenes. Uh, really enjoyed this, Prisoners of the Sun. Next time around, uh, you mentioned that uh, this story was one that was started and not finished and is coming back to. And so next time around, we're going to be dealing with, uh, not dealing with, we're going to be enjoying, I don't know, I haven't read it yet, uh, Land of uh, Black Gold. That's right. So if you agree with me that uh, Seven Crystal Balls, the Temple of the Sun, go together, or Prisoners of the Sun go together, then with this story, we are still not seeing a, a story that fully started in... Tintin Magazine. Oh, okay. And it fully started and finished in Tintin Magazine. I thought you were going to tell me that that uh, the criminal bird guy who uh, is still uh, on the loose. Yes. Adding a frisson of, of suspense to every Tintin story from now on. Okay. Will he show up? I hope Will so. Will he not? Bird's the why, word. Why is there a bird there? Is that telling something? Is that symbolic that or something? Is supposed to be the bird? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, well. So, uh, everybody, as I've said throughout this uh, edition of our show, we love to hear from you. SneakyDragon.com is our website. Yes. Uh, that is where our Tintin uh, podcast lives. So, uh, we have a message board uh, there. We'd love to hear from you. Lives and thrives. Also, of course, on Facebook, Totally Tintin. 
Uh, we uh, post different articles on there as well about Tintin. Uh, sneaky underscore dragon uh, is our at sneaky underscore dragon is our Twitter address. Yep. And sneaky D at sneaky is email. We love hearing from you in any form. Uh, so please uh, do let us know what you thought of the show, uh, what you what you like, uh, what do you want to hear more about, that sort of thing. You know how uh, writing to people works. Yes, I am familiar with it. <laughs> okay, good. Mostly just complaint letters. Yeah. Dear sir. Or madam. Boo. Signed, everyone. <laughs> Dear the sir. end. End or madam. All right. So, uh, Please turn down your stereo. That's right. We all learned a lot about llama safety in this uh, issue. You are disturbing my lovebirds. <laughs> Okay, this isn't getting any better, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks so much for your kind attention. I've been Ian it's Boothby. It's getting better and better. I've been David Dedrick. And this has been Totally Tintin. Next time, Land of Black Gold.